And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Welcome to the Hagman Report, Doug Hagman, Joe Hagman, something I like to call America's premier father-son investigative reporting team, coming live from our radio and television studios here in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. Welcome, folks. Welcome to the Hagman Report for today. A lot of news to get into. The Senate Judiciary Committee just uh, batting around uh, Jeff Sessions, just like a like a little uh, like, like a ping pong ball, except when they're not. And Jeff Sessions lashed back at L. Franken today. You know, you know, remember Al Franken, the SNL a funny guy, and I like me. I guess you have to be a little older to understand that, and I like me. Al Franken from Saturday Night Live fame. As where he should have stayed, given the trajectory of that, uh, of that particular program, that show. And of course, that's the, the big issue, the, uh, the Senate Judiciary com- uh, hearings on well, with Jeff Sessions testifying, six hours and 39 minutes roughly or thereabouts, I don't know, something uh, incredible like that, but uh, lashing out at, at uh, Sessions, lashing out at, in the way any Southerner does, very slowly. You know, I'm not going to sit here and take that from you. I'm not sure I could do a, a I'm not sure I could do a, a, I can't do any impressions. But I'm not sure. I'm, I, I'm not going to sit here and take that from you, Senator. Yes, we, we have to get Pastor David Langford in here to, to do the Sessions uh, uh, impression. But, but what would you think of that, Joe? Well, there's a couple of very interesting exchanges in that one that we saw on Fox News with uh, Nadler, Senator Congressman Nadler, and he kept harping away on the Trump-Russia connections, the... Uh, who's a Papadopoulos, uh, the FBI, flying to the FBI and, yes. and trying to get Sessions to say that his testimony was wrong during his confirmation hearing, and we see Sessions held his ground, pushed back and said, no, you know, it doesn't matter how you you ask the questions or try to twist things to, to make it sound uh, like I changed my testimony. My testimony's been the same. I did not lie, and I'm not lying now. And this went on for a while. We played a few of the clips on, on our daily show. And it's interesting to watch, um, to see where these politicians' heads are at when well, they're yeah. asking their question. It, well, well it, it, you talk about asking leading questions. I think Franken asked this. And I, I don't like it when people, uh, and we do this often, and I don't like it. We have to break this habit. There's a paragraph and a half, or, or a half a page of 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 monologue before the question is asked, and by the time the question is asked, it is a statement as opposed to a question with a bunch of insinuations built in in the backside of the question, and and I think that it, that's wrong and it's misleading, and now I, I do agree that I think um, a couple of times or the answers would have called for a yes or no answer, and not not you know not a lengthy uh, response, and not the way they frame it though, but, but something you know I agree I agree they're I, trying to trap him right. When did you stop beating your wife? You know, of course, it's ridiculous. But I'll, I'll say this: 
the uh, the issue here, and, and I'm, I'm wondering, do, do you feel, uh, uh, let me ask you this first, do you feel that uh, there will be a special counsel appointed to investigate your 81? Yes well, or know, no? That, that's, yes uh, or no? <laughs> that's what Sessions said. And it's interesting to see some of the backlash in the mainstream media about this. We have a few uh, examples of that on newsbusters.org. One, MSNBC whines, when will there be enough investigations into the Clintons? This from, I want to say Katie Turr, but is Andrea Mitchell and Katie Turr were both aghast that the congressional Republicans urged the nation's top law enforcement official to launch an investigation into numerous scandals swirling around Bill and Hillary Clinton. They were aghast? Yes, that's what the article says. Aghast. And it goes on uh, also, so you have Andrea Mitchell and Katie Turr, and you also have Chris Cuomo says the GOP calls for Clinton probe is a spitball contest. Basically, he's saying they're going... You know, uh, going after Clinton is is just uh you know to put down the um, investigations into Trump in Russia to, by trying to distract, and also Morning Joe investigations into Clinton is what Joseph Stalin would do. So you see a lot of the media backlash coming out and saying, "Who said that?" This was on Morning Joe. Okay, and they should know. <laughs> they, they, they should know. Morning Joe, Stalin, Lenin, the entire uh, cadre of of Russian communists. It, it, that's look. Okay, w- where did this all start? Let, let's go back to the beginning. Where did this all start? This Russian alleged Russian collusion with Donald Trump. It all started where with, with Hillary Clinton with campaign. Hillary Clinton campaign. But what was at the epicenter of a, a lot of this? It was the Fusion GPS yeah, situation. The Trump right? dossier, yeah. The Trump dossier. Let me give you a timeline on the Trump dossier. May I? Yeah, this would be good. Okay. Or, you know, can your tie do this? Can you make your tie do that? Okay, never mind. I'm sorry. Just having fun here. Look, it was uh, obviously uh November... Or I'm sorry, it was June 20th of, uh, um, 2016 when the first entry into the Trump or the, uh, Fusion GPS dossier was made. And the, the dossier is online. It's a, it's a 35 pages worth of vomit is what it is. Um, the last entry was made December 13th, 2016. So you're looking at six months, roughly, and you're looking at, uh, what, uh, a month after the election, roughly, almost, when the last entry into this dossier was made. So think about that. June 20th, 2016 is when the first entry was made. December 13th, 2016 is when the last entry was made, and there was a month, that was a month, one month after the election, encompassing about six months of investigation. And the question is who paid for it, who was behind it, what's, you know, of course you know what's in it, but, so. August 27th, 2016, Senator Harry Reid wrote a letter to the FBI Director James Comey. He uh, referenced Michael Morell, the former acting CIA director. Now, I know I went over this previous, but I'm going to go over this again. I think it's important repetition as well as driving this home. Uh, the acting director of the CIA was, was copied um, or was re- referenced in the letter by Senator Harry Reid to FBI Director James Comey saying, look, uh, Donald Trump is an unwitting agent of Russia and the Kremlin. Think about that. That's Senator Harry Reid. You know, the guy with the black eye, because he fell off the 
treadmill running or walking. September 23, 2016, U.S. intelligence agents begin investigation. Carter Page, who was a Trump advisor uh, in the Russian government, uh, of course, they, they were looking at Carter Page, again, who was a Trump advisor and the Russian government interaction. Page had extensive business ties to Russia. He's a former investment banker for Merrill Lynch in Moscow, and he had the consulting firm Global Energy Capital in New York City. So he had some, he was, he was counseling, uh, Carter Page was counseling Donald Trump. And, and, I, and I wonder about that. Just keep that in the back of your mind. That was September 23rd, 2016, when U.S. intelligence agents begin their investigation into this, in, into Donald Trump because of the, really from the letter from, uh, Senator Harry Reid, um, into the allegations that later comprised this dossier. It was October of 2016 when the FBI obtained FISA warrants based on the contents within the, within the dossier, which again is troublesome to say the least. I'm just going over the highlights. I'm not getting into the deep, dark, um, every point here because it would take the better part of the hour. And it, it, I said this before and I'll say it again in the dossier. The dossier was mentioned Alpha Bank, which had a server in Trump Tower. It's, that would be like, us being in a building with the servers and saying that we and and let's say Alpha Bank was in our building and saying we had something to do with Alpha Bank it's it's, it's just totally ridiculous. But Trump Tower computer services uh, were linked between or with Alpha Bank at least in the dossier. It was very routine and very innocuous. But that was October 2016. And again, the FBI warrants were based on, uh, the FBI got FISA warrants based on the information based on the dossier. Now, watch how this, how this all unfolds. October 30th of 2016, Harry Reid demands the FBI look into explosive information. He, he sends a letter to Comey again and says, I want you to look into this, uh, Donald Trump, uh, the allegations that Donald Trump is a Russian agent. Again, out of thin air, out of nothing, based, well, essentially based on this dossier, as we will find and, and where this came from. October 31st, uh, 2016, David Korn writes this article in Mother Jones. It's just, a, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna go there. I'm gonna skip over that. November 18th of 2016, this is after the election, of course. Senator John McCain is informed of the dossier. And I mentioned this before. He was informed of this, the existence of this dossier at a security meeting in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Well, McCain sends a messenger on a transatlantic flight to go pick it up and bring it right back. And, of course, that, and I mentioned this before, this is all cloak and dagger stuff. Meet at the airport a man carrying a copy of the Financial Times. He's going to have this information for you. You grab it and you bring it back to me. John McCain, thank you very much. That's what we're spending our tax dollars on. All right. So he picks up the, he picks up that particular, um, dossier and brings it back to McCain. McCain, of course, on December 9th, 2016, gives the dossier to James Comey. And again, the, the completed document, this document evolved over time. It was constructed over time. The information, think of it as an investigation beginning on, on June 20th of 2016 and then bits and pieces. So that's why, for example, Reed had his say at, at some point and, and others had their say at other points. So this was growing and evolving over time. And December 9th, the dossier was pretty much, uh, what we see today, and McCain gives it to James Comey. And it was December 13th of 2016 when the last date, uh, um, 
of the memos from British services were included in this dossier. Then we get to January 8th of 2017. We have the election of Donald Trump. Donald Trump wins. January 10th, two days later, Obama and Trump are given a summary of this dossier. It's two pages long. And it was a two-page briefing. And then later the same day, BuzzFeed publishes the article. Now, or publishes the BuzzFeed in its entirety. Now, we, we come back to the question. And this is important, I, I believe. We come back to the question as to, uh, okay, so who paid for the dossier or, or who, what was the chain of custody? Who paid for the information that went into the dossier? You've got Hillary Clinton and the DNC. This is being proven right now. Uh, they hired Perkins Coy, Mark Elias from Perkins Coy. They paid that, uh, that the DNC and Hillary Clinton paid $10 million. You and I spoke about this yesterday. $10 million to Perkins Coy, the law firm. Mark Elias then uh, was the point man then at the, uh, at Perkins Coy. And of course we know Perkins Coy to do a lot of work for Clinton and, or for, um, not just Clinton and DNC, but also for, uh, Obama and others. And of course Perkins Coy was at the epicenter of the birth certificate, long-form birth certificate issue back in uh, 2000 and whenever that was, was it 11 or 12? 11, I think it was. Well, so Mark Elias and, from, or, and, and Perkins Coy paid Fusion GPS, Glenn Simpson, the founder, from the $10 million, uh, a little over a million dollars. And Glenn Simpson, Fusion GPS, then hired Christopher Steele or paid Christopher Steele $168,000. And then from there, there were five different sources, at least, that got money uh, from Christopher Steele, uh, reportedly, uh, allegedly got money, or at least received uh, some sort of benefit in exchange for information. One of those, of course, is George Papadopoulos. How does he fit in? He was one of the three indicted, and, and well, one, he was a 14-page guilty plea, which is right here. I've got the guilty plea of George Papadopoulos, 14 pages. And, uh, he pled guilty in June of, uh, George Papadopoulos, I'm sorry, George Papadopoulos guilty plea was, uh, done, um, let me see here. Uh, the FBI affidavit was filed on July 28th, 2017 by FBI agent Robert Gibbs stating that George Papadopoulos lied to the FBI on January 27th of 2017 the uh, guilty plea was filed on October 5th of 2017 you've got to ask yourself from the time that he was arrested in July until October what was he doing and I, I would contend that George Papadopoulos was was actively uh, involved in turning over Information and uh, perhaps, in my view, perhaps acting as an operative for the special counsel. But that's just my thinking. That guilty plea was filed October 5th of 2017, and it was unsealed on October 30th, 2017. And uh, the 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 more I look at this, I'm I'm thinking that Papadopoulos is definitely one of the sources. He's either source. He's probably source D as referenced in the affidavit, I believe. But George Papadopoulos was working with, and this is what I believe it took place, is working with Hillary Clinton, Fusion GPS, and Christopher Steele. And uh, his his mission was to entrap both Donald Trump, or not only Donald Trump, but those people involved with Donald Trump. So you've got Fusion GPS and Glenn Simpson, the founder, and Christopher Steele, the British spy, 
both involved in, shall we say, creating and uh, promoting this this dossier, shopping shopping it around. Of course, they shopped it to various sources before BuzzFeed published it, including but not limited to the New Yorker, the Washington Post, Mother Jones. Don't forget, Mother Jones did that piece by David Corn did that piece, CNN, New York Times, and Yahoo News. And of course, we've got the FBI um, working in the intelligence uh, committee, Democrats passing the information back and forth. Papadopoulos is front and center on that. They were trying to protect Hillary Clinton, uh, Hillary Clinton as the source of the Fusion GPS funding from the HR or from. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, let me rephrase that. Everyone, including the FBI, was trying to protect Hillary Clinton as being identified as the source of the Fusion GPS funding uh, via Perkins Coy Law Firm. And I think people need to understand that. And the individuals, there were eight. By the way, the other part of this was the meeting at Trump Tower that took place on June 9th, 2016. There were eight individuals involved at that meeting, of course. And, uh, well... Um, I'm sorry, that was, uh, right, that was June 9th, 2016. I'm not sure if I said 2017, but that was 2016. Eight individuals involved in that meeting, and that involved, of course, the attorney Natalia Veselnitskaya, of course, the attorney. It involved Rob Goldstone, Renat Akmanishin, as well as, uh, a couple of, a translator for, a Russian translator. And, uh, this has all the hallmarks. Of an, of an intelligence setup, intelligence operation setup. The, in, the intended, uh, the intended issue here is to erode the, erode public confidence in both the election as well as the candidacy of Donald Trump. So I think this is what we're looking at. By the way, the FBI, and I mentioned this before, but it's worthy to note that it was on May 8th of 2017, the FBI questioned Donald Trump Jr. and Eric Trump, um, about the meeting that took place in the previous year, and it was on May 9th, the following day, when Comey was fired. And uh, uh, the Deputy Attorney General, on May 9th, that that was a memo that was drafted by Rod Rosenstein to the Attorney General saying that they should that Comey should be fired. And of course, Donald Trump fired Comey, and that's kind of the way it went down. But if you look at this meeting, and if you look at the the, the document. It's got all of the hallmarks of intelligence assets involved, and I think that when it's all said and done, the breadcrumb will breadcrumbs will trace back to uh, John Brennan for one, Comey for another, Rosenstein, as well as um, um, I, I would even go go a little bit further in that, but uh, I'll just stop right there. And it should be noted that Hillary Rodham Clinton paid people in the Donald Trump campaign to act subversively. And so how does that even work? You send assets into the highest levels of the campaign, or such as Papadopoulos, which, you know, warming his way into the circles of Donald Trump Jr., and saying, hey, I've got some, you know, we could have some information for you. And of course, that entire, in my view anyway, the entire purpose was to, was to gain his confidence. And then of course, uh, deal with the opposition. And, and I, I do believe that, uh, George Papadopoulos, which, who was a London UK resident and entered the guilty plea, 
uh, likely that he received money from Christopher Steele as well. And it's looking more and more like the Papadopoulos guilty plea. And think about this, those of you who really understand what's going on here. Could Papadopoulos have authored or compiled himself the dossier? Think about that. Given the fact that you've got a guilty plea, and you've got him walking around for six months, what was he doing? And this is in 2017. Could George Papadopoulos himself been the author, at least in, if not the entire thing, but in part? And could it have been where Christopher Steele paid Papadopoulos? But you've got the female Russian national, the, um, the, uh, the, the, the lawyer, the professor, uh, Joseph Mifsud there, the Russian, uh, National, uh, as well, Ivan Timofeev, who was at this meeting. He had Rob Goldstone. He had, um, others, but there's no evidence. Um, there's no evidence of any Donald Trump collusion with Russia. It's all goes back to Hillary Clinton. And you've got, uh, you've got all of this foreign contact, not on the side of Donald Trump, but on the side of, of Hillary Clinton. And don't forget, Glenn Simpson from Fusion GPS, and this has not really been reported on with the exception of Reuters and a few other places. Glenn Simpson from uh, Fusion GPS met with Natal, Natalia, uh, well, the attorney, Viznatkaya, Viznatkaya, can't really say that name, both before and after the meeting at Trump Tower. Now think about how that works. You talk, you talk about the, you talk about the information, or you talk about the, the, uh, structure for a setup for an intelligence sting operation. And, and Glenn Simpson sitting next to Mark Elias saying, hey, we didn't know anything about, I didn't know anything about this Trump Tower meeting. Yet he met with the, the attorney, the Russian attorney, Vesnitskaya, before and after the meeting at Trump Tower. And Fusion GPS is neck deep. Well, who is Fusion GPS working for? Perkins Coy. Who is Perkins Coy working for? Clinton campaign. I don't see much, I don't see much ambiguity there. And, and they're grilling Donald Trump over this? Or accusing Donald Trump over this? Hey, Al Franken, have you read any of this? Or are you too busy wearing a diaper and playing uh, a baby on Saturday Night Live back in your, back in the day? Very interesting. You know, you asked me earlier if you thought, if I thought Sessions would hire a special prosecutor to go against Hillary Clinton. Well, today, Sessions also said there was not enough basis to appoint a special counsel to investigate Hillary Clinton a day after he, or a day after the Department of Justice confirmed that the Attorney General had authorized senior prosecutors to evaluate an inquiry into the Clinton Foundation. Sessions appeared to push back on Trump's repeated instances that the FBI should focus on investigating Clinton as opposed to potential collusion between his own presidential campaign and Russia. The Department of Justice can never be used to retaliate politically against opponents. That would be wrong, Sessions said when asked about Trump's tweets calling on the DOJ to investigate his former rival in the 2016 presidential race. The president speaks his mind. He is bold and direct about what he says, Sessions added. We do our duty every day based on the facts. And he also went on to say that the um, <clears throat> session said appointing a separate counsel 
to investigate Clinton would require a factual basis today in his who, who, no, no, That's what Sessions said. Right. Factual well, that's true. And uh, look, I know people have a problem with Jeff Sessions and think, well, he, he should be doing more and more. Look, I, I don't know the answers. I don't think anyone does. Uh, you might not like him because he talks slow and deliberate or he doesn't answer questions or he's, he's reserved or he's measured in his responses. But, but I, I'll tell you what, if I would have been sitting there, boy, I'll tell you, I would have, you know, the, there was that attorney or the, uh, senator that spilled uh, Dr. Pepper on the, on uh, Cruise, hmm. uh, that 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 would have been yeah, me actually pouring it on uh, Franken. If I, I would have walked over there and slapped Franken upside the head if I would have been Sessions. Hmm. You don't talk to me that way. Who in the hell you think you're talking to? All right, you you show some respect. Grow a pair, and that's what I want to see from my attorney. If I had an attorney general, I'd call him in. By the way, this is just me. If I had, if, if Sessions was my attorney general, I'd call him in. I wouldn't have him as my. I want to see uh, a Bobby Kennedy Kennedy esque attorney general. Not that right. I agree with Bobby Kennedy at all, but I want to see that. I want to see uh, somebody who's saying, first of all, you don't talk to me that way. That's number one. You show some respect. And number two, uh, you know, no, I'm 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 going to answer the question. Uh, I'm not going to answer your questions that that you frame up to to make me answer and make me look guilty. But you show some damn respect, or I'll come back over there and slap you, Sonny. That's what I want to see from my attorney general. And I also want to see action from my attorney general. I want to see, not only are we going to investigate all of the perverts in Congress, but we're going to investigate Hillary Clinton. And yeah, I'm going to point, I'm going to point the second special counsel and the third and the fourth until we get the friggin' truth out of this, out of this whole committee, out of this whole mess. That's what I want to see from a, from a, an attorney general. Well, hopefully the calls for into the investigation and, and the um, investigation itself and special counsel is not already being pushed out of the question by Jeff Sessions. Hopefully they look at this, look at the evidence surrounding this and make a determination to at least investigate. I have a feeling they they might, they probably won't, just by the what it looks like. Sessions is saying. Oh, I, we haven't even the guardian, and we haven't even gotten started on uranium one yet. And, and the traitor's tre- treasonous behavior on my on my Twitter feed at Hagman P. I have my personal Twitter feed. By the way, my comments are my own. Um, uh, uh, Ethel Rosenberg, Hillary Clinton, peas from the same pod. Joe, we're out of here. Well, it'll be this, it'll uh, be interesting hour. to to see what happens. We're going to jump right in on this on the other side. We've got another half hour of news, and then we're going to be joined by Matt Bracken in hour two. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. edition of the Hagman Report. We've got a great show lined up for you today, of course. Um, we've got Matt Brackett coming in in hour two, Stan Dale in hour three, Matt Brackett in hour two. It's going to be just fabulous, uh, fabulous information. But we're, uh, I was going off pretty much on the, uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing, uh, today, the session today, with session, the session with sessions. And, uh, Joe was, uh, 
talking about uh, that as well. We were talking together about it. And, of course, the Trump dossier timeline, you have that now. And the Uranium One timeline is, is much, um, is, the, the entire, the entire Trump narrative of, of, of Russian collusion is based on, uh, the projection of the Democrats, what, or the globalists, I shouldn't say Democrats, but, but some people in the mainstream still call them Democrats, they're progressives, they're communists, a projection as to what they have done. So they're projecting it on Donald Trump. And the only collusion with Russia is, of course, the Hillary Clinton, uh, her and, uh, and of course the Clinton Foundation with Uranium One and selling off 20% of our assets. Snopes, by the way, Snopes is for dopes. I don't care what you know, in my view, Snopes is nothing more than a mouthpiece run by a couple of. I. I don't go to Snopes. Okay. Anyway, um, or or any of the other places that that stick up for this treasonous espionage activity, the seditious activity, in my view, by Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation and those around her, including the Podestas. Find out who the Podestas receive money from the, the lobbying group. And find out, too, who Media Matters, who's just filleting everyone out there, any conservative talk show and from Sean Hannity. And, by the way, uh, Peter Barry Chalka, who's going to be on tomorrow, just has done such an incredible job uh, with uh, exposing the uh, what I called last week, and, and that's the campaign to shut down uh, Sean Hannity, specifically Sean Hannity. But once you take Sean Hannity out of Fox News, there goes Fox News kind of folding into the uh, the fold of the communist agenda. And there it goes, just like America folding. Uh, once that happens, it's going to be a one world government type operation by the, you know, by the communist progressives. But before we get back to our, before we get back to our show, I want to remind everyone that, uh, Portions of the Nice Broadcast brought to you by Omaha Steaks, omahasteaks.com. Go there. And for the business pack and family pack, Forty nine ninety nine. Just all you have to do is put HH in the search bar, and what'll come up is just some wonderful deals. That's OmahaStakes.com. OmahaStakes.com in the search bar. Type in HH. But the uh, Joe, the the whole thing with this with this uh, with with this sessions being grilled for six hours, and and, and I, I'm glad. I, I want to see this. I want to see more of this. I, I want to see things moving in Washington, but what will become of it? Are we going to see a special prosecutor? We should see a, a, a whole bevy of special prosecutors, and yeah. the targets should be the Clintons. The targets should be, in my view, the Podestas. The targets should be, in my opinion, every single progressive out there from Donna Brazil to Debbie Wasserman Schultz. What about the Awan scandal? Where's that? Who's talking about the Awans, the Pakistani nationals in the House of Representatives? Who is mentioning that? Have we forgotten about that? About 12 years of espionage, of off-site servers, of information being shuttled off to Pakistan. Could that have been the reason uh, for the uh, the uh, uh, what I would say the tip-off of the first raid or the first military action by Donald Trump at the uh, Yakala in, uh, in, in Yemen this uh, uh, this year, in January of this year. And, of course, what about Extortion 17, SEAL Team 6? Could that have been the reason uh, the leak from Debbie Wasserman Schultz's 
most revered Awan family, whether it's Imran Awan or Hina Alvi, his alleged wife, but show me the marital papers that they're married. That's unlikely. And why are they walking around? What about the judge in this? What's going on with that? So, of course, George Webb has done a lot of information or a lot of investigation on that, as have others. We are doing the same. Uh, but we need to look. This needs to be investigated. The, uh, of course, Debbie Wasserman Schultz needs to, in my view, needs to be perp walked as well as Hillary Rodham Clinton, uh, Donna Brazil for that matter, making the admissions she made and then trying to walk them back. Uh, but yet she's got blood on her hands as well. Seth Rich, what about that? We have we forgotten about Seth Rich or are we going to the next thing? Uh, all of these issues are under our microscope. Joe, send it back to you. Yeah, they are, but where, what kind of traction are they going to get? In the mainstream media and in the circles who can actually investigate and, you know, make, uh, make a difference in these investigations. I don't, I don't think any of We make the traction. We, we, make, the we traction. make the traction. And every one of you should make the traction. I, I don't care. You know what? Just pound your senator and congressman with emails, faxes, phone calls, even your physical presence and say, you know what? Do something. Get off your butt and do something. Seriously. We, we, we can do this. And we should do this. And if we don't do this, shame on us, because are we going to give this to our children and their children to inherit this this mess? And you know what? Uh, I, I've talked about this book on my morning show, uh, The Betrayal by Diana West, and we're going to have her on as a guest. But all of this, a lot of this, most of this, what we're seeing today, comes from this this Russian influence, this no, not Russian, communist influence, post World War II, during World War II. Uh, do, do you know that this is not the first time we gave Russia uranium? Of course not. No, it, uh, under FDR, under FDR, there was a uh, lend-lease program, and in addition to that, we actually gave Russia um, uh, post World War II. Uh, just a whole lot of stuff, including but not limited to uranium. So this is not the first time. And that was under Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the darling of the progressives. And all of his progressive, uh, communist, inherent, uh, inherently communist, uh, programs. Understanding history will give you an idea of why we're at where we're at today. You're absolutely right. Kind of switching gears here, I want to talk about Joe Biden for a moment. There have been you know, rumors and such that he is going to be running for a, uh, for president in the year 2020. I hope and so. And there's some interesting articles that have come out today. One from Newsbusters. Headline news panel dismisses Biden 2020 run, citing his history of groping women. Have you seen those, those videos? What a puke this okay. guy is. And if you guys follow the articles that I'm referencing, you can go here and watch these videos. It says, with former Vice President Biden making the rounds on his book tour, many in the media have been fawning over the idea of him running for president in 2020. But on Headline News Network, on a panel, they had a reality check for all those hoping and praying for Biden to be president. They started by playing a clip of uh, showing him inappropriately touching a number of, of women in the public, women and young girls. And there's also an article which is done by James Hoft on the Gateway Pundit, former Joe Biden Secret Service agent. We had to protect women from him. Weinstein-level stuff, it says here in the article. And this is according to a former Secret Service agent who is not identified but said that they had to cancel Christmas parties and other events because Biden would grope all of our wives and girlfriends. 
He even goes on to detail an instance where he almost got into a, Biden almost got beat up by a Secret Service agent who Biden touched the, the guy's wife inappropriately as they were posing for a picture. This article also has pictures and videos of some examples of Joe Biden being creepy. Now, Biden is in the news again for his book tour, and I don't know if you saw this, but he made an interesting remark about the Texas shooter. Who's the guy that? who uh, put the Texas shooter down, Joe Biden? Oh yeah, I I, it, it, I I watched that I watched that clip fifteen times, and if anyone could tell me exactly what he said, <laughs> I'll tell you exactly what, 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 what that it means. means. Yeah. Well, what the hell did he say? That was a word salad that he gave. It was so. Uh, Biden was asked by an audience member on NBC's Today Show um, whether or not, what, what was the deal with his uh, commitment on uh, the anti-gun commitment that he had. And, and Biden answered like this. He says, well, first of all, the kind of gun being carried he shouldn't have been carrying. Okay, this was uh, in response to a question when Biden was talking about guns and they said, well, the Texas yeah, church yeah. shooter was stopped by a man with a similar a, a, gun. A, a, who owned the gun legally. He was a legal gun right. owner, stopped the bad guy with the gun. And here's, uh, go ahead. What did Biden Biden's say? Response. And now, now listen carefully. And, and I, we might have to, well, go ahead. But say it the way he said it. We have an audio, we have a, yeah. a, a clip we can, I'll send to Eric, maybe he can play it. But uh, Biden uh, says this. Uh, well, try to understand this. Well, first of all, the kind of gun being carried, he shouldn't be carrying. Assault weapons are, I wrote, the last serious gun control law that was written and was law for 10 years. And it outlawed assault weapons and it outlawed weapons with magazines that had a whole lot of bullets. And so you can kill a whole lot of people a lot more quickly. <laughs> but the takeaway from this is him saying that the person who stopped the uh, Devin Kelly, the, te- the Texas church shooter, Biden has come out and said that the guy who stopped him shouldn't even have had the kind of gun he had in the first place. Right, he should have had a, a musket. All right, you know, one of those things you... you and you, a word salad, that's he, generous for what he's... Okay, I mean, this a guy musket. Was, he was out there in his response. That was a... I guess I didn't catch the rest of that. That really didn't make any sense whatsoever. But here we are. This is uh, the Democrats' best hope for president in you gotta play, 20, you gotta play that clip. 20. I'll, well, I'll well it it's, it's seriously, you, you can listen to it 15 times and, and you're not gonna, you're not gonna understand a word, a, what he's trying to say. You can't even extrapolate what he's trying to say. Mm-mm. And this is crazy. By the way, um, the, uh, Chuck Schumer diversity visas were, uh, were definitely awarded to five accused of terrorists, this appearing in the Washington Examiner. Of course. You know, um, again, this is what we get from this happy, clappy, uh, diversity crap that, uh, assimilation. Look, when will people understand that Muslims, I don't care what you say about, about them, they have no desire to assimilate into Western society, and yet we're giving up these, uh, the, from this decades old visa, the, the program, they awards green cards to 50,000 prospective immigrants every year, which, by the way, fell under the scrutiny earlier this month when, uh, uh, law enforcement confirmed that the, uh, idiot driving the Home Depot truck was from Uzbekistan and the recipient of this green card from this visa lottery program. And of course, that's what we get. But Schumer, you know, Schumer defends it. 
yet five prospective terrorists now, as being reported by the Washington Examiner, five confirmed terrorists have been awarded these uh, these visas. And, of course, you've got these activist judges out there uh, saying, well, well, you know, it's, it's unfair not to, to stop this. What are these people? You know, they're nuts. All right, so um, that's that. Uh, just to let people know about that. And there, there's also, um, in addition to that, um, well, you know what? You got what else you got? Because I, I don't want to. I, I want to talk about. Um, I just want to mention this. We mentioned. I, I think we mentioned this briefly last week or yesterday. Yeah. I don't know how many people have seen these Tom Steyer commercials. Oh yeah, I played one during billionaire Democratic donor yeah. Fusion GPS client. Uh, spent $10 million in order to air a series of commercials that are calling for the impeachment of President Trump. They say things like he's mentally unhinged, he's brought us on the brink of nuclear war, he has been caught taking money from foreign governments, that he poses a huge risk to the safety of this country. And I've seen these on ABC, NBC, those types of channels, as well as uh, the news channels from even Fox News, but I think they pulled the ad to CNN and the others. I just find it amazing that these things, I, I guess the guy's a private citizen. He's spending his own money to air them. But I'm, I'm just amazed that they're allowed to be aired like this. I played that commercial a couple of times. There's one commercial in Fox News. It's pretty bad. But but see, they couldn't. Okay, they couldn't get Donald Trump in the primaries. They couldn't get him on election day. They tried after election day to delegitimize him. Now they're going for the twenty fifth amendment, and by playing these these hideous ads by this got too much money. It it just um, I mean these people really believe that what they're saying is true. Apparently they do. As yesterday, um, Doctor Berman said, you know, it's it's a deception. That's right, and it is That's a deception. Right. We see how far gone these people are. But to to waste ten million dollars of your own money. Well, to... that's just you know <laughs> that's propaganda. Uh, I mean, all somebody has to do is watch CNN. They're going to get the same information that this guy's putting out there. But not on Fox News, which ran the ads, which see goes to right. my point. Right. But by the way, aside from that, uh, Jack Berkman, the uh, attorney for, uh, I believe he's an attorney, he's, he's Berkman is, uh, yeah, yeah, he's Jack Berkman, the attorney involved in the Seth Rich case and filed suit against Donna Brazil uh, on October 18th. This according to Alicia Powell, who's been on our program a number of times, wanting to know everything that, that uh, Donna Brazil knows about the Seth Rich homicide. Just as an FYI, going to be following that case close. I don't know whether you heard about this, but uh, Brazil knows the truth about Rich's mysterious death. That, according to Jack Berkman, the Republican lobbyist. Well, you know her book. She goes on to speculate in her book about Seth Rich, saying that she believed that it could be the Russians that were involved. Of course. So I don't know that she really knows the truth. Well, whether she knows it or not, it's what she wrote that count. Or look, she wrote a book about this, and frankly, I just think it's—I don't know. I well, from what I read from the excerpts of her book, I don't. Know. Even though she dedicates the book to Seth Rich, even though in some of the interviews she gave, she referred to him as her child. She goes on in the interview to, in the book to say 
that any person she hired she considers one of a, a, a child of hers because she doesn't have any children. She's a lesbian. And gee, isn't that funny how that works? And in the book, she talks hmm. about you know Seth Rich dying under mysterious circumstances, but kind of pointed it towards you know the Russian Trump conspiracy more so than implicating members of her own party or the DNC in general. So that's why I wonder where this guy's coming from to say that she knows. And if she does know, she definitely didn't allude to it in her book, aside from dedicating the book to Seth Rich. Which, if she doesn't really know, and she's backing away from it, it makes it even more mysterious as to why she label or, or dedicated the book to him. Well, I, I think it's it's a dedication in a book, especially a book of that kind. Um, of course, she's a lesbian, so she's not going to dedicate it to her uh, to her husband, right? Or, or am I wrong? <laughs> I, uh, guess. I don't know her her relationship status. Or is she the husband? Or is she the wife? Or the whole, thing, the whole thing's weird. Uh, this whole situation's weird. And, you know, we saw a lot of people jump on the Donna Brazil bandwagon, um, saying that, you know, she's finally telling the truth. She's throwing Hillary Clinton under the bus. Well, that really hasn't gone anywhere now that right. she's done her, you know, morning show, political talk show interviews for her book. She's out of the news cycle and um, quickly becoming irrelevant again. And there's nothing else um, in her book that is being thrown out as an example of this or that or proof that she knows something, or implications of other crimes. So I think we saw and heard anything that was relevant in her book pertaining to Hillary Clinton, the DNC, and the election. I, I could be wrong about that. I have not read the book. But this always seems to just go nowhere. Any any accusations against the Clintons don't even get to the point of investigations. They just seem to go away. And one of the interesting things about the, the Comey if Sessions is going to open up a probe into Uranium One, he should also, they should reopen an investigation into the Hillary Clinton emails, including the FBI's conduct, specifically James Comey, and what process he went through, because we know from a new memo that's been released that he classified Clinton's actions as gross negligence months before he interviewed her, and according to the law, gross negligence is a felony, punishable, uh, with jail time, and he changed the language um, to extremely careless from gl- gross negligence, getting her off the hook. And then, you know, we know all of his actions that he did to get Robert Mueller, the special counsel, on. And I read something today that Rosenstein and Mueller got the Uranium One investigation to be sealed. Uh Okay, here, let me... Okay, go on with that. I didn't get a chance to, to... Okay. Rosenstein and Mueller got a motion to seal all documents, arrest warrants, affidavits, and evidence in Uranium One. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure that there's anything to seal at this point, given the fact that this really hasn't been investigated by the Department of Justice or even by the, by the special counsel. So what is there to seal? Uh, unless they issued gag orders from 2009, 2010, or or even maybe you know you, unless they go back back that far, but I think Uranium One and and that whole as as written by uh, Peter Schweitzer in his book Clinton Cash. If you haven't read that book, that's a great book. It goes into detail about Uranium One up to the time of its publication. Now more has come out since that point, 
but that it, it's important. And, and I think the uranium one story is perhaps the one of the most important stories next to the um, next to the uh, collusion by the the Trump or I'm sorry by Trump by the Hillary Clinton campaign. Hillary Clinton, Glenn Simpson of Fusion GPS, and by the way, Fusion GPS, three people, all three former journalists for the Wall Street Journal, forming Fusion GPS. And remember, this goes back. Remember, 2010, the word journalists, 150 plus journalists from CNN and from all these other print publications and television, radio, going through and 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 kind of siding with um, the progressive left and Obama and all that stuff, and then shaping the narrative of the uh, of the media landscape, shaping the media landscape narrative in favor of Obama and in favor of the communist progressives. But now coming forward, uh, the Fusion GPS that started out of that, Glenn Simpson and two other individuals now being a part of, of course, the Hillary Clinton, uh, uh, the, the, the attempt to smear Trump with the Russians, but in fact it's the, it's the Clinton camp that had, were in bed with the Russians. And, and to hear, and by the way, just to hear Al Franken say that, that uh, Russia didn't was meddling in our elections to cast Hillary Clinton in a bad light is just totally ridiculous to me. I, I want to mention this before time gets too out of our way. Um, you know, we talk about Judge Roy, Judge Roy Morris being talked about, of course. What about, uh, and I wonder how many people have heard this, a year ago there was a black male escort by the name of uh, Gamel Moore, he was found dead in a bathroom of a guy by the name of Ed ba- Ed Buck. You know Ed Buck? Have you heard about this? Mm-mm. No. I wonder why no one's heard about this. Well, it's because it received little attention, uh, especially given, however, its political implications. This Gamel Moore was a young black and poor allegedly a black prostitute and Buck was white wealthy and uh, powerful Ed Buck of course is a uh, openly gay man and he is a major political backer for all things DNC Democratic candidates in California for example Buck has given more than 250 million dollars to Democratic candidates he gave 2500 the maximum legal amount to Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign and of course helped in other ways and you would think that uh, yeah you know a dead guy in your bathroom and that raised some questions right it's just I hate when that happens I hate when you come home and you find a dead guy in your bathroom really it's inconvenient it happens it happens so what are you going to do anyway uh, but you can look this up and research this on your own Ed Buck and Gamel Moore um Hey, you know, why isn't more being uh, made of this? And it's kind of an interesting story. Of course, be careful as you research it. You're going to find some pretty offensive pictures on there uh, by this, uh, in my view, pervert. I was, somebody sent me an email today saying, oh, well, why don't you get sued more often? Defamation suits more often. As, as if, as if they want me to, you know. I, I guess we can have opinions, by the way. But, uh, still America. We, we can have opinions. And we can express our opinions. 
All right. So anyway, I just want to bring that up because I think it's it's a shame how um, now that you know the allegations of sexual misconduct and and all of this have rocked Washington and rocked uh, Hollywood, and yet you've got a dead guy a year ago, and, and you know because he's poor and black and no one's saying a word. He's he's in the bathroom of this guy, this huge DC powerful donor, and um, the story's been sidelined. So, you know, Lady Justice, as I heard today on the, in the, uh, Senate hearings, has a blindfold. And I, look, don't send me emails about the statute, Lady I, I don't care. Justice is supposed to be blind. That's the point. And, and justice is supposed to be, and justice for all. Hence the opening of our program. It doesn't mean for, for everybody except Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton and the DC swamp creatures. It's and justice for all. And that means justice for a young black guy that's dead in someone's bathroom. And that means justice for Seth Rich, who's dead uh, on, at a hospital and, and bleeding out on a sidewalk. And they, that means justice for Vince Foster, who, contrary to, to belief, in my personal opinion, did certainly did not commit suicide. Of course, you'll have other people writing feverishly about that, saying, I know the truth. The truth is I know the truth. You don't know crap, in my personal opinion. So stick that in your... And if you want instructions on how to do that, I'll give them to you. There seems to be a, in the last minute here, a military coup underway in Zimbabwe. It's a story I've been following all day. Now there is reports of gunfire and explosions being heard in the Zimbabwe capital, and apparently a military general down there took over the vice president's residence with the vice president in it, giving the president of Zimbabwe a 24-hour ultimatum to hand over power. And now they are Zimbabwe State TV is reporting it's been brought under military control, and again that there are sounds of explosions and gunfire and tanks in the streets, tanks blocking off the road to the presidential palace and the uh, State Department issued a security message for U.S. citizens about political uncertainty in Zimbabwe and had ordered all U.S. personnel to shelter in place and stay home. So a very interesting scenario there. We'll have more with Matt Bracken when we come back. Don't go anywhere. edition of the Hagman Daily Show. I almost said the wrong day there. We're going to be joined by former U.S. Navy SEAL Matt Hey, Sonny, you, you better correct yourself on what program you're doing. What did I say? Oh, I did? Wow. On the Hagman Report. Sorry about that. I don't know what, uh, what I must have just... It must have come out with the day. Usually when we open our show in the afternoon, I'll say the day and then I'll say the title of the show. So it probably uh, just muscle memory there. On this Hagman Report, hour number two, we will be joined by Matt Bracken. He's the former U.S. Navy SEAL and author of The Red Cliffs of Zarhoon. We're going to be talking to him about um, 
some interesting scenarios as far as security is concerned, and we're going to also get into some of his book when he joins us in just a few moments. Uh, we have news on the Obamacare mandate, which forces all people without health insurance to pay the penalty or fine of $2,800 has been wiped out. Here's what we do, all right, because I, I, I'm in favor of this. You don't pay You don't pay that stupid penalty. Every If everyone didn't pay it, what are they going to do? Are they going to arrest everyone? Good question. Okay. Come on. Seriously. It, it's it, and, and don't even get me started on the IRS, but seriously. So, no, no wait. So this is what's happening. So, the, so is this true? That we the, don't, because no, I ain't no, paying. Yeah, it's not true yet. The Senate GOP's tax reform bill seeks repeal of Obamacare individual mandate. The Senate GOP leader said their tax reform bill will include the repeal of the individual mandate. The mandate requires most Americans to have some form of health coverage during the year or pay a tax penalty. An estimated 13 million fewer people would have insurance if the mandate were to be repealed, according to the Congressional Budget repeal Office. But that's not, damn that's not accurate. What they're saying is 13 million people who pay the penalty instead of insurance won't be paying their penalty every year. It has nothing to do with insurance. So, so who's reporting on this? Okay, this is CNBC, but this is on the front of Drudge right now. And so, so they're 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 misquoting. It's a well, lot. they're saying it's that the idiots. estimated thirteen. This is what I don't understand. Okay, the removal of the individual mandate, according to the Congressional Budget Office, will equate to thirteen million fewer people having health insurance. Thirteen which, fewer people. Thirteen million fewer people. Okay. Which doesn't. Did make I hear sense. wrong, or did you just say thirteen people? I think I said thirteen million. Okay. But so this uh, is part of the Senate tax bill that they're putting forward for that uh, Trump has been working on. So what they they go on to say is that uh, the decision means that Republicans yet again in 2017 will attempt to gut a key element of the Affordable Care Act. So far, such efforts have failed because not enough Republican senators have backed the idea of repealing the mandate, because, which would lead to an Because they don't have testosterone. They, they don't have testicles hanging between their legs. Or, or in, in the case of a female, they don't have the guts to do something. Repeal the whole damn thing and get out of the health care business. Just get the hell out of the health care business. Leave one-fifth of our economy alone. Let the free market decide. To hell with you people who can't deal with this. Get out of health care. Totally, and and why haven't why haven't we done this, Joe? Why hasn't this been done? No, it should have been done right away. It Tell should me. have been done right away. Again, we talked about this during the Obama administration. Was that the Senate passed sixty-seven repeal and replace bills, and now that they have a president in office who is willing to sign one of those bills into law? They can't sit down and work together to get one passed. No, here's here's what should be done. Okay, you, you make a bill. It's one sentence bill. This bill repeals the Affordable Care Act. End of story. Period. And sign the friggin' thing. Vote on it and be done with it. How hard is that? Use crayon if you have to. Draw a picture, a little stick figure, with somebody tearing up the bill. I'll do it. Let's bring Matt Bracken on. I- my head's going to explode. Give me some duct tape. Matt Bracken, it's Help great me. to have you back on the show. Thanks. You know, the, the thing about Obamacare that that, that gets me, that it, more people don't talk about, 
forget the economics of it, socialism versus free markets, all of that. It's really about control. This is to turn the country into a kind of like East Germany. Who's going to go on social media and bitch about the government? You know, if you might accidentally be deleted from the waiting list for hip surgery. Yeah, exactly. You're going to be a good comrade or you're not going to get your prescriptions. They're going to be lost. You know, your account will be deleted. So it's all, it's just like the IRS. They'll weaponize anything. Trump might be in charge now, but in four years it could be Senator Warren. And, you know, they will absolutely weaponize anything that they can, including the FBI, the CIA, the IRS. And when they control health care, they control people right at the at the testicular level. I mean, right at the, right where they live. You're, you're exactly right. And this is all about control, isn't it? I mean, everything, as a matter of fact, everything. It's either about money or control. But at the end of the day, it's about control. It's about consolidation of power. It's about controlling the controlling the American people. You're right. I mean, it's. I can't argue with you there, nor would I want to. Matt Bracken, of course, is our guest. He's got uh, a fantastic new book out, right? Matt, your your new, that's brand new, right? Yeah, it's well, it's been since July. Um, well, and it, yeah. it's it's doing the best of my books in terms of its reviews. It has uh, more than 280 reviews with a 4.9 out of five star rating, which is my best reviewed book so far. So I like to think that my writing skill is getting better. I, 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 I love it. Uh, I have that copy here in the office and I have to say that it's, uh, it's a finely written book and it's very engaging. So I uh, thank you for that. And you were on before and mentioned that. And I say new brand new book. I consider that to me. I mean, it's, it's a, hey, I'm still, my mind's still back in, you know, summer, so I, I, it's brand new to me, but um, I want to thank you for writing that. Matt, can I, can we ask you a question? Let me just ask you this first, and I, I know this is kind of uh, not planned. Do you have any more information about Las Vegas? That seemed to like just drop right off the radar. Can, can you talk about that, or what's going on with that, the shooting? Yeah. Is it, you know? Sure, and you know, Las, Las Vegas is um, a paradigm for quite a lot that's going on today in the country. Um and I could, I have like a list. I could read off a spiel of, of uh, examples where conspiracy theories flourish, where there's government secrecy, but very often the government secrecy is to hide government incompetence. It's embarrassing, and they'd rather uh, allow, you know, for all kind of, uh, of uh, poss- you know, real or not real conspiracies. That admit that they just totally dropped the ball. We most recently saw this with the uh, the latest JFK stuff. What they still don't want to declassify is how totally incompetent the FBI and CIA were when Oswald, who was so crazy that even the Soviets threw him out, then <laughs> he goes to Mexico City. He's doing everything but wearing a sandwich board, saying I'm crazy and I'm going to start shooting people. He actually did take a shot at a general, a retired right-wing general, um, fired through his, his living room window at night and missed with the same rifle. So the, the, you know, the, the warning signs were all over the place. They weren't picked up. And in Las Vegas, I can't think of a greater example of total incompetence than what happened that night to allow somebody perched right above 400 yards, straight down, 
over a concert with 22,000 people to fire for 10 straight minutes. What do we pay SWAT teams for? What are the helicopters for? What are all the sniper rifles and the, you know, the fancy ear uh, comms for? They can't even return fire in 10 minutes. Steve Paddock could have kept on shooting. As far as we know, he killed himself after 10 minutes. But the, there was no SWAT response. There were, there were people, uh, professionals in the security industry, uh, ex-military, uh, all trying to get Las Vegas to take this seriously. The Department of Homeland Security had warned Las Vegas over and over that they were, you know, in the bullseye for a major ISIS-type attack, and they did nothing. There were suggestions constantly that venues like this had to be protected with counter-snipers that are on a standby. They're not just going to get the call and then, you know, go find their car and take out the rifle and start suiting up. They need to be on standby. They weren't. And this was a classic textbook example. You have these eight-foot window walls that were broken out. It's not like you can't find where the guy's shooting from. If they had returned fire in one or two or three minutes, Paddock would have, maybe they wouldn't have hit him, but they would have driven him back from the window. It's a safe place because it's a concrete ceiling, concrete walls. So it's a bullet trap. All they had to do is stop him from shooting by returning fire. They didn't, not in 10 minutes. And this is an easy case. Now, my first novel begins with a sniper from long range, from almost a mile away, firing into a stadium on a NFL football stadium. You kind of called that, by the yeah, way. And it, yeah. And it's and in, and I I held off on writing about the NFL this year until after Las Vegas, because it's obvious now that they really haven't prepared. They have the gear, but they don't have the idea. So they've got the helicopters, they've got the SWAT teams. What they don't have is a plan. Uh, in, in 1980, in Desert One, which was um, the Iranian hostage rescue, the thing was a fiasco because it was an ad hoc mission where the, the Marines provided the helicopters. You know, Everybody had a piece, but they didn't practice. And the aircraft crashed out at the de- out at the desert site. We need to think in terms of what we did after that to integrate a, a response so that we wouldn't just be putting together you know uh, ad hoc teams anymore. At big outdoor venues, there already is a police helicopter. There are police SWAT snipers. We do have acoustic shot locating systems. But they need to be ready. They need to be sitting by the helicopter, ready to take off with people studying the acoustics so that if somebody does fire into a stadium, they can get the helicopter into the approximate area. Remember, it could be a mile or further away. So we're not talking about precision sniper fire to hit an individual at a mile. We're talking about hitting an upper deck of a stadium from a mile. It's a whole different thing. You can't just put a police sniper, though, on top of the stadium and then fire and shoot an individual who's hiding in a sniper's hide a mile away. That won't work. They need to get a helicopter to go out there, use its FLIR, its infrared, once they've gotten to the approximate location with the shot spotters, and and then they can at least, if if they don't kill the sniper, they can at least disrupt him. And the reason this, this is so important, going back to Las Vegas, 
if the Las Vegas sniper had been stopped after, say, two minutes, probably most of the people would have survived. For sure, the panic stampede would not have gotten started. That panic slowly built. It wasn't even going for the first five minutes. It was after five minutes to the end of the shooting and beyond that the people were crushing over each other to get out of the exits. So out of the 500 injuries, I think the vast majority were trampling injuries. And that's bad enough on a flat parking lot. But in a stadium, it'll be disastrous. Matt, I want to ask you, because I have not seen it, we have not been given any official numbers by law enforcement saying this is how many were shot, this is how many were you know, injured in the uh, ensuing running away. We don't know. Um, but you're saying that you believe that a large amount would be from... Right, the trampling injuries. And there's, and there's going to be um, some gray area because some people might have had, for example, bullets splatter and been trampled. So when you, you know, somebody's uh, got road rash up, up, up and down their legs, it can be hard to determine you absolutely were trampled, you absolutely were only shot. So there is some, some bleed over, some gray area. But the, 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 the thing about Las Vegas is it was almost a complete demonstration of incompetence. And after 9-11, you, you would think that people were better prepared than this. Believe me, they have the gear. They have the, the great sniper rifles. They have the helicopters. You know, in Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Metro Police had to borrow armored vehicles from a private security company. It took them an hour to breach the room, and the breach didn't even wasn't even like an actual SWAT team that practiced together. It was an it was a thrown together ad lib thing, you know. And so they, they the SWAT team never got their crap together that night. They never did. They were unprepared. They're they're right up above there is a you know forty story Mandalay right above an outdoor venue. They had no plan. So I absolutely have no faith that the NFL has a plan. Now, I've seen pictures of snipers, counter-snipers, for the Super Bowl, you know, up in the lights for the Super Bowl. That's sort of like uh, security for the for the president. But they need to think in terms of every stadium, particularly the NFL, because it's a political thing this year with the kneeling. And the, a unique aspect of a long-range sniper is that he's very likely to escape. And that's critical because unlike a, say a truck, uh, a truck massacre or a suicide bomber, if you get away with it, you can leave false clues. We've seen how popular it is, particularly from the left wing, to do false hate crimes. You know, draw swastikas on a church, trash your car. Even at the United States Air Force Academy, a cadet was caught doing a, a false hate, hoax, you know, a blaming white racists, drawing the N-word, and it's a false flag. Well, if you're going to do a stadium attack, it would be very easy, and this is sort of like one of my novels, it would be very easy to leave false racist hate literature at the sniper's nest. Do you think that the media would look any further than that? It would be completely blamed on white racists that were firing at the stadium because of the black NFL players kneeling. If that was what the clues that were intentionally left were, the media would lap it up, absolutely lap it up. So part of the reason I talk about this is sort of as a vaccine to inoculate, politically inoculate, sort of socially inoculate, just putting the idea out there makes it less likely to happen. 
because for sure there's there's no stopping this if somebody wants to do it. It's just a glaring uh, uh, vulnerability. After Las Vegas, I decided to just talk about this because it's going to happen, and I'm afraid that like in Las Vegas, the police are going to say nobody ever thought somebody might shoot at a stadium from so far away. We never thought of it. We didn't have a plan. Well, I'm saying get a plan. You have a police helicopter. You have snipers. You have acoustic systems. You need to practice now. They need to be ready to go. You can't give a sniper 10 minutes to shoot up a stadium. If you do, you're going to have a panic stampede that's going to cause people in the upper decks trying to get down those stairs to the tunnels to push people off the upper decks. It's not going to be the bullets. It's going to be the panic stampede. And a stadium is really uniquely vulnerable. Now, the NFL, they're getting a little emptier, so it makes it a little bit safer. <laughs> but in a college, a college stadium, forget about it. And, and you know, I, the, the tactic that I describe in my first book is, is a arcing fire to just clear the first side of the stadium and hit the opposite upper deck. But there are other tactics, long range. I'm talking a half mile to beyond a mile. There are other tactics that are much easier. The reason I describe that tactic in my book is that it's hard to do. There are other tactics that are far easier, believe me, that I won't even describe because I don't want to give some, you know, moron the idea. But stadiums are very vulnerable. And I don't want, like 9-11 or like Las Vegas, I don't want the police afterwards to say, gee whiz, nobody ever thought of that. You know, I want to shake them and say, think about it. Because when it happens, you're going to need to be ready. It's going to be too late to figure out, hey, where's the helicopter? Where's the SWAT team? Oh, the SWAT team's on the other side of the stadium. Well, have them drive around the stadium. Well, we can't. It's all blocked off by vehicles. Well, maybe the helicopter can go pick them up. That's what's going to happen. And it, it, it can't happen that way. The counter snipers, the helicopter, it all has to be working together now. They need to practice for this. It's the next thing that can happen. And, and as far as I can see after Las Vegas, nobody's got a clue. They don't even want to have a clue. In Las Vegas, people that suggested counter snipers were called, you know, paranoid and fear mongers. <laughs> they didn't want to even hear about it. It's like, you know, if I just close my ears, the threat will go away. And, and as far as I'm concerned, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Las Vegas has got the, the I mean, perfect for, uh, uh, counter snipers, if you will, if that's the term, correct terminology. I mean, it's, it would be a perfect, uh, setup for that. But they, they could have had them already. You know, you have to look at a big outdoor venue like that or any stadium event. You have to look at it. You have to do a, a target analysis, taking the perspective of a sniper. Where would a sniper hide? You know, going out to, to beyond a mile, in close, vacant buildings, things, you know, warehouses, things like that. Things that have a line of sight into gaps between the stadiums. Not all stadiums are a perfect, uh, a perfect coliseum. Some have sides, so there are gaps. They need to look for the vulnerabilities. And then post snipe, counter snipers, that already have predetermined the ranges, you know, that they've already developed a, a, a card of ranges so that they know what's the range, what's their, you know, how to set the rifle for each each uh, target on their 
And it wouldn't be hard because the stadium doesn't move. So once you do it, you have it. But the, but the counter snipers have to be thinking in terms of not just keeping a guy with a gun out of the stadium. That's easy. That's all they've done is perimeter security, bag searches. They need to think in terms of somebody very far away shooting into a stadium. And even if you can't prevent it, you can't let it go on for 10 or more minutes. If you can stop the guy after a minute or two and you can prevent the mass panic stampede, you will save hundreds or thousands of lives. And that's why I'm talking about this. As well you should. Our guest is Matt Bracken. By the way, follow him on Twitter, at MattBracken48. I love how he just casually says, yeah, graduated from UVA in SEAL training in 1979, built a sailboat, crossed a few oceans, uh, wrote five novels, you know, some essays. Just it's nothing, right? He's, he, well, to I, me, he's, I married a I married a Navy nurse, so that helped. Well, the, well, there you go. I mean, an, an American hero, certainly well known in the in the um, in in the. Community. My wife, my you, wife is. <laughs> there you go. And, and speaking of wives, um, my, my wife uh, put this in my briefcase. In fact, I, I forgot about it because of the first hour, and and uh, I just uh, received a note. She reminded me about it. This is in our home. We've got a, a type of curio cabinet, and uh, you sent me this back on July fifteenth of twenty seventeen, along with this book. And uh, you're right; it was July. It just seems like I don't know the other day, but I took this out, or she took this out of the curio cabinet, and you wrote a real nice note on the back. But it's got your your books on there, of course, enemies, foreign and domestic. But uh, folks, uh, there it is. You can't have it. I have it. But but thank you. I, I, so the, the reason I brought that up, you were mentioning wives, and she. Uh, uh, she had put this in my briefcase, and I forgot about this, but uh, this is in my Kira cabinet because I like, uh, obviously, your work. I respect you and um, you're the information you provide. So I thought I'd say that. And, of course, your new book, uh, July Issuance uh, or Publication, The Red Cliffs of Zerhoon, and we're talking about, of course, is the NFL, NFL ready for a Las Vegas-style attack and everything that comes from it. We talked about Vegas. So let's continue now that I interrupted your flow of thought. So well, I, th- I think I've I think I've pretty much covered the the stadium thing. Okay. My point is that my point is that law enforcement needs to think about tactics that haven't happened yet. It's no good just to practice over and over again for the easy stuff or the predictable stuff. And and some somebody shooting at a stadium from a mile away or a half mile away is something that they'd better be planning to put a stop to. Because like in Las Vegas, if somebody can just shoot un- uninterrupted into a stadium for ten minutes. Yeah. There's going to be a mass casualty from the panic stampede. Well, mass casualty. Exactly, exactly. Now, but getting back to Las Vegas, I, you're referencing the uh, the incompetence, pretty much, of of the the federal government. Mike, you, you can call it incompetence, um, but I, I and that's what I would have classified it as, you know, in the days and weeks after the shooting. But now I'm not wondering if it's not something more, um, in in the realm of you know. It, if the intelligence agencies involved, uh, you know, some kind of classified operation. I'm wondering if it's not possible that there's a lot more to this story. Maybe the guy was a, a, a general contractor for the for the government in some way. Uh, we well, know he has an know, extensive history. I, it's just too much secrecy yeah, here. He's a pilot. I mean, there's just, there's a lot here, um, and and unfortunately, gross incompetence provides a huge tent for conspiracies to breed beneath. So if it takes them an hour to get into the guy's room, 
more than an hour. And then all, all sorts of things are possible. There were no cameras in the stairwells. There are no cameras on the hallways except at the elevator banks. So if, if he had, you know, if he had left the room and gone to a stairwell, gone up and down a few flights and then across the entire hotel, then down another stairwell, he could have, somebody could have exited the entire building. You know, if you're writing this as a novel, then, then Paddock is, uh, thinking that he's a gun dealer working for the FBI or the ATF or the CIA and his, uh, you know, ISIS contact shoots him right at the end and leaves him there as the patsy. I mean, if you're writing the Hollywood version, I, I don't think that it's necessary. Uh, for one thing, you know, we like to think that something that heinous one person couldn't pull off. But in fact, I think that the reason that Paddock was able to pull it off was that it was a singleton operation. There's an old saying, I forget who it's attributed to, that, that three can keep a secret as long as two of them are dead. So a one-man yeah. operation, a very careful, methodical guy. I mean, he was a guy that built his own little real estate empire. Very careful, methodical guy. He could have done it. Yeah, he could have. But either way, whether it was just him or there was others involved, the secrecy surrounding it has really bothered me, and, and that's well beyond incompetence. I mean, just to even get some of the basic pieces of, of evidence and information out to the public well, secrecy, is not forthcoming. So secrecy you have to does cover why. incompetence, too, though. You know? <laughs> no, it does. We are talking with our guest, Matt Brack, and when we come back, we're going to get into uh, what is his book about, what's in his book, The Red Cliffs of Zorhoon. Oh, After this it. break, don't go anywhere. You're listening to this episode of The Hagman Report. time by saying any extraneous words. I want to welcome back Matt Bracken. Of course, his uh, website, Enemies Foreign and Domestic, and of course, he, he's on Twitter, at Matt Bracken 48 Follow him on Twitter. I do. I just checked. You know, I'm getting... For some reason, I'm... I know I followed him. I follow him personally, and I checked, and it says that you're not following him, so I have followed him again. I don't know if that's happening to other people, but uh, make sure you, you do follow Matt Bracken, at Matt Bracken 48 on Twitter. Uh, Matt, yeah, I, I, I might I might be paranoid, but I feel like that I'm not getting many retweets or likes. That's it's, for sure. Me too. It happened. And you wonder, you wonder if they're putting the thumb on the scale down in the uh, politically correct uh, social justice warrior department. Uh, it, it makes you wonder. Uh, I, yeah, I, I know. It's it. it I was talking with a, a friend, Pat Campbell, same thing, um, at KFAQ. He's a uh, uh, talk show host. and Same thing. It's any... any well, I won't get into it, but let, let's talk about your book, Red Cliffs of Zerhoon. Uh, again, folks, this is the book, and it's one of my favorites, and of course, uh, a very treasured item that, uh, we have in our family curio cabinet, among other, uh, collectibles, of course, is Matt Bracken's, uh, uh, card of his previous books. Get them all, by the way. But, let me ask you, what is the title? Let's start off with the basic stuff. What does the title of your book refer to specifically? Well, I, I, this is my Islam book. You know, this is my warning about Islam book. But I figured that I would go under the radar a little bit because if I put in the title, you know, everybody should be worried about, it, about Islam taking over the West, 
it would uh, immediately, you know, be condemned as Islamophobic and so forth. Um, also, the, the, this is my second um, novel written in the first person with the character Dan Kilmer. And as a hook between the titles, I decided to do uh, geographical uh, items or, or features. So my first novel was in this series was Castigo Key, and the second one is uh, Red Cliffs. So, you know, future titles might include, you know, bays or oceans or mountains, things like that. But, um, yeah, the, the Red Cliffs of Zerhun, it refers to uh, uh, cliffs in Morocco that are red, like red sandstone, similar to what you would see in Southern California often. And uh, the word Zerhun is, uh, comes from Moroccan uh, culture. It's uh, a town and a mountain with religious significance uh, within Morocco, and it, it has a nice alliteration. It gives you a little bit of that, um, uh, the old uh, French Foreign Legion, Fort Fort uh, Zinderhof or whatever it was called. You know, So I, I just like the alliteration of it, and I thought I'd fly under the uh, Islamophobia radar by just calling it something innocuous like the Red Cliffs of Zerhun. Mission okay. accomplished. Yeah. You, you mentioned uh, the the character uh, Dan Kilmer. Was that based on any actual person, or or what made you? Uh, how'd you come up with the character? Mainly alliteration. You know, for an author, names are like a gimme. And uh, some people uh, recently they've gone you know ethnic, and there's like a lot of like Polish detectives or things like that, or females obviously. And I just wanted to have kind of a throwback. Anglo, basically right down the, you know, right down the middle Anglo kind of a name. And, uh, one syllable, two syllables is nice and alliterative. And he's a former sniper, so Kilmer kind of, um, riffs off of Kilmore. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> so, so that, that, that's kind of a writer's trick in a way. Right. Yeah. I... Yeah, and there's some bad names for writers, like Al is a terrible name. For a character, because every time you look at Al, it looks like a one sauce. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. Yep. Yep. That's very well. Very well said. Um, wow. Well, well, you know, people will be speaking of, of Morocco, which you mentioned. Uh, people have maybe they can't find Cape Zerhoun or Port Zerhoun on any maps of Morocco. I think you covered this, but just to be clear. You know, it's a composite, right? The the, the where this right. is okay. All right, just just so yeah. On the on that. the Atlantic on the Atlantic coast, and you know, it's interesting. Uh, the area that I'm describing is is exactly around the latitude that I am currently in Jacksonville, Florida. So if you got on a, a boat and you just sailed due east, you'd run smack into Morocco, and Morocco is very similar. If people think of California. You know, with North Africans, that's Morocco. Morocco has mountains the size of the mountains in California. It has a west-facing ocean with big waves. It has deserts in the east. It has fertile valleys that produce more food than Moroccans can eat. So it's an exporter of food. Um, you know, it, if it, you know, it, it has a lot going for it, for sure. I mean, the, the natural beauty and the uh, richness is, is uh, it doesn't have oil. But it does have um, vast fertilizer deposits, which which it can trade for oil. They have shipping facilities that are so big you can see them from outer space, where Chinese ships come in and load up on phosphates. So yeah, Morocco has a lot going for it. But it is an Islamic country, and uh, you know it, it's 
going to be a test to see if, if the most westernized Islamic country can hold off fundamental Islam. You know, it'll, it'll, it's going to be a test. And I, I, in I, real I, life, in real life, yeah. yeah. When I created, when I created Port Zerhoun, what I was basically doing was recreating the political, uh, uh, military and political situation of the 1600s in Morocco when, when, uh, Moroccan corsairs, uh, roamed out of those ports and went as far as, you know, England and Ireland. They even went to Iceland in one case and kidnapped 400 people. So it's, it's, um, it was a pirate port then. It, it, people have to understand that under conditions of jihad, you're allowed to capture infidel slaves. So anything you catch at sea, you can just take it. It's like piracy is legal. It's condoned. Piracy is considered uh, sea jihad. Huh. And in, write, in writing this book, I used characters from history. So the characters in the book are actually the names of people who did similar things in history. And we, we, what, what's the saying by Santayana? Those who uh, don't remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And, and except this time, Europe is actually inviting the invaders in. It's just very disheartening to see. But um, you know, it, it's 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 a tragic situation what's going on in Europe. But I expect it to get much worse because it has been this bad before. And a, a lesson of history is that when Europe, when the West is weak, then the jihad advances. You know, there, it's never in stasis versus a weak Europe. It always advances. Whether it's, you know, to, uh, in the Battle of Tours and with Charles Martel or Lepanto in the Mediterranean or the Gates of Vienna, you know, Islam is always trying to attack Europe. And this time, Europe has been weakened from within by socialists who, who are, you know, one world open borders, which is practically, you know, like, um, throwing open the gates to the hen house and, and inviting foxes in. And it's it's going to you know it's going to be a slow demographic suicide for Europe, or it's going to be a civil war. Those are the only two possible outcomes at this point. Well, Matt, let's let's talk about this a little bit because in your book you write about a Spanish religious war or civil war that happens. And interestingly enough, we just had the uh, just a few weeks ago the independence referendum from Catalonia, where it looked like there was going to be a, a split. In Spain, and you saw the the government really uh, put the kibosh on that. But there are also articles out there that talks about this popular uprising in Europe and the return of the nation states that will break up the European Union through this populist movement. And this but, is right at, at the same time, though, the European Union is putting together a, a functional military, a combined military. And I can only think that they're not going to be used to keep the uh, Muslim invaders out. They're going to be used to uh, enforce the diktats of Brussels and uh, of, of Germany against Hungary and Poland, for example. You know, th- this I is, didn't think of that. Sure, they're not. They're, they never have guarded their external uh, borders. The, the, what they call the Schengen Agreement was: we're not going to have any more internal borders between the EU countries. The EU itself will protect the outer perimeter, but they never did. So the, the you know, the, there is no way once somebody gets into Greece or Italy to keep them from making it to Sweden, for example, where the welfare is higher. So yeah, the, we're, we're seeing the complete collapse of Europe 
in my novel, it, it, the, the novel sort of an allegory. It's a microcosm. The, the novel has 70 Irish girls, Irish and English girls, that are in Southwest Ireland at a boarding academy. Um, other girls are massacred or escaped, but 70 are taken away. They're taken back to Morocco. This is set in the future when Europe is even weaker and is in the middle of a religious civil war. So like jackals coming, you know, against a wounded, a wounded animal, these pirates see their advantage. They carry off these girls to sell them as sex slaves. They're worth a fortune. You know, they're, remember, there are people that will spend millions of dollars for a racehorse. They're going to spend a lot more for, you know, a 12-year-old uh, Irish girl. And they're taken back to Morocco. What can anybody do about it? The, the government of Ireland has got not even a destroyer it can get underway. So there's a there's a, um, a amateur team of former SAS that's put together to go and, and do a rescue mission on their own outside of the government, which is incapable of helping. And the, basically this is an allegory for, for Europe at, at, at large. Will Europe ever stand up and fight back? Or is it going to just be a fait accompli? We can't do anything about it. They're, the traitors let in all these invaders. Now we're going to be under Sharia law. Now we're going to be under Islamic rule. Or at some point, does Europe stand up and fight back and resist? So this novel is a is a story of resistance, and uh, you know I hope people enjoy it for that as a novel. I, I think it's very well written. I I, I agree with you on that. And if I can, if I can just read the um, uh, two entries on the back of your on the back cover, and I think this is important for people to understand, especially given the circumstances we see today. And it's written here on the back of the Red Cliffs of Zerhun. Uh, Some men will travel a thousand miles to kidnap our children for sex slavery. Some men will go much farther and risk everything to bring them all home. And how how great is that? And this is a novel about slavery and the high price of freedom. And, in fact, Matt Bracken is our guest. And, of course, uh, his book, The Red Cliffs of Zorhun, uh, definitely a this well beyond, much deeper than the normal post-apocalyptic uh, uh, action novel. This is... Uh, very, very interesting. And, and then you yeah, mentioned that's that's, that's another reason I, I I like the idea of this Dan Kilmer character who's living outside of the United States because you know the, the dystopian fiction uh, inside of America you know the the guy who has to walk halfway across the country after the power goes out that novel's just been beaten to death and I'm not interested in doing you know the hundredth version of that. Right. So I, I like having the twist where this is showing what's going on. You know, in the rest of the world outside of the USA during this dystopian future. Well, no, no, and it's, by the way, it's very well done. And I would urge everyone to grab a copy of this book. It's, it's extremely well done and it's almost frighteningly well done, especially given the fact that everything we've seen and we're seeing right now. And, um, it's kind of like your other books, but a little bit, I don't want to say darker, but, Wow, it, it hit me between the eyes that the writing did, as well as the story itself. Um, a couple of questions about the about a couple of the issues here, or a couple of the points in, in the uh, in the book. You've got you mentioned British SAS, but they were working with the IRA. Is that isn't that a little far fetched, or are we? Uh, well, in the in the plot um, in the plot of the book, the SAS there's a 
colonel who um, puts together a team of former SAS operators. But unfortunately, you know, they can they can have all the talent in the world, but you just can't go down to the hardware store in England or Ireland and uh, ask for twenty or so machine guns. In in the in movies, I, I one of my favorite movies is uh, Man on Fire with Denzel Washington. At some point in Mexico, he just is taken to like your local black markets are us where you can buy an RPG over the counter. It's ridiculous. Yeah, this is a, this is like a born identity kind of fantasy that's not born in reality. So in the situation in the novel, the SAS guys have no access to firearms. Well, who do you think in Ireland might have access to firearms? Good point. The, the IRA, who never demobilized them, as part of the late 1990s peace accords, they were supposed to turn in their weapons caches, but they never did. So in the novel, there are M16s from uh, the Massachusetts National Guard and also M60 machine guns also from Massachusetts that were smuggled across the ocean and then, you know, hidden in barrels under a barn for 30 years. And when uh, the SAS needs weapons, only the IRA can provide them. And yet the IRA guys aren't just going to hand these weapons to the SAS, you know, the kind of their immortal enemies and say, good luck, fellas, you know, here's our guns. The IRA is going to go with the guns as well, because there's also a question of Irish national pride since the girls were kidnapped from Ireland. So it, it winds up with a, a combined uh, IRA and SAS mission. And the, the reason that that's part of the allegory is that Europeans have to get over their political squabbles, their religious squabbles, and realize that they're facing an existential threat from without, you know, which is quickly setting up camp within. And these Sharia zones, once they're established, they are not in reality uh, Islamic territory, conquered Islamic territory. And something to keep in mind: when the when the uh, Muslims invaded Spain in the same century of after Muhammad, it only took them about 20 years to conquer all of Spain. Yet it took 700 years for the Spanish to kick them out. But once you let Muslims get a, a toehold of Sharia on your territory, particularly in your cities, in your capitals, it's not like you can just wish them away. You know, they're fanatics. They'll die to stay. Once territory is conquered by Islam, they consider it Islamic forever, which includes Israel and Spain. They consider these Islamic countries taken over by infidels. So it's like sticks in their throat like a fishhook. So once once they've got, you know, cities in Sweden or Germany or, or France, they're never going to give them up without a fight. And at, at best, it's going to be a civil war. And at worst, it'll be just demographic conquest. And in 50 years, women will be work, wearing burqas all over Europe, or they'll get acid thrown in their face. You know, their choice. So it's it's time to fight or or forget it, and that's why I wrote the novel, and that's why I have two covers for it. Also, I like the artwork on the front, but on the back is the, what I call the Kindle cover, because I'm really trying to get this book to become popular in uh, especially in the UK and all over Europe. This is literally the kind of book that couldn't be published now. For example, in Germany, it would be considered you know a hate crime to to even read this book, but. Because Kindle is still tolerated for now, for the time being, it's sort of like a little, uh, you know, a, a crack in their defenses of political correctness. 
to be able to sell a Kindle book in Europe. So I'm, I'm really trying to get the word over, uh, you know, across the Atlantic about the book. I will, I will say, I will say this. I do believe that our listeners, we have a lot of listeners in Europe, including, especially the UK. If you, if you are listening to us in the UK, you need to, you need to order this book via Kindle or whatever. Order this book. Yeah. And, and, and I'll, um, you know, I, I, tonight I was a fill in and it's short notice, but when I have notice, um, I can do a Kindle free run, which means put a title one free status. But I can only do it for the next day, starting at midnight. Right. So um, I would be happy to, um, you know, do a Kindle free run so that people over in England can can get the book. I've I've found that um, it's it's paradoxical, or it, it, it. This took me a long time to wrap my head around, but I but I truly have seen that free content drives paid content. So it's a win-win situation. Literally giving away my books for a day or a couple days leads to much greater sales. It takes you to a higher level of, of uh, awareness. You know, when you only have a tiny fraction of the people, you know, 0.001 people, uh, percent have ever heard of me, just getting it out to 1% in terms of awareness will ultimately raise my sales. So I don't mind putting the books out on the free status, and especially so that Europeans can pick it up. But I need a, a little advance notice for that. Yeah, and, and we thank you for coming in <laughs> coming in as you did. You're very charitable, very kind, and, and we, we appreciate your gracious gift of time. And certainly away from your family, we, 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 we thank you for that. Um, and, and, yes, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that, too, about the – about how that works, but uh, I'll tell you what, this this book is a deal at any price, and especially for the people in the UK, Joe. Uh, when you yeah. read this book, you know, uh, it, it's it's got this uh, in the book in your novel. Spain, of course, has weathered the chaos of this religious civil war that you talked about better than uh, most uh, European countries, and you explain why that is. And, and but it's it's really a uh, You'd call this a glimpse, I suppose, a glimpse into really what the world may look well, like, right? I kind of, I kind of, li- I like the vehicle of using Dan Kilmer on the schooner yeah. because it's sort of like a Gulliver's Gulliver, Gulliver's Travels. He, in his, in Gulliver's Travels, he gets to experience different worlds, and with the vehicle of the sailboat, you can see how this dystopian outcome is different in a place like Ireland than France than Spain. I'm not saying that Matt Bracken predicts that Spain is going to do better than Sweden or Germany or France. I just wanted to show different outcomes. It's not going to be, you know, a smoothly rising or lowering tide that affects every country the same. As we're seeing in Europe today, the Eastern European countries are fighting back. You know, Hungary, Poland, Czechoslovakia, they experienced socialist communist dictatorship. They don't want to go back into a dictatorship where you're not allowed to say certain things, where you're not allowed to believe certain things. So they're actually fighting back more than the decadent bourgeois Western Europe. And in the case of Spain, who knows if they'll do any better, but I also wanted to show that not every country's military has completely collapsed. In, In the novel, Spain actually can put destroyers out on the ocean Unlike Ireland, which couldn't even get a ship underway, you know, it, it becomes difficult to maintain modern technology during an economic collapse. 
helicopters don't maintain themselves. You know, they're complex systems. And once the uh, supply chain breaks down, a lot of our high technology is going to, you know, basically uh, wither on the vine and be unusable. Matt, I want to ask you this in the, the closing minutes of the hour. Um, what happens to the Christians in the Middle East, in these Muslim countries, in your novel? In the novel, they've been wiped out. And in, uh, in the case of Europe, it's sort of a um, mutual, I wouldn't say exchange, but mutual expulsions. And the, the fact that all of the cops in Egypt, for example, have basically like an Armenian genocide against them, this lowers the uh, the tolerance of the of the British in the face of all of these major acts of terrorism. They eventually in, in England, what they do is they go to loyalty oaths, where you have to uh, stand on the Saudi flag, which has the Shahada oath on it. You have to stand on the, the Saudi flag and swear an oath of allegiance to the king, and it's videotaped. You know, you have to you have to forcibly apostate yourself from Islam, or you can't stay in the country. They they uh, bulldoze all of the mosques and they sow them with pig's blood. You know they're very medieval about it, and their their tolerance for Islam is completely shattered when all of the Christians in the Middle East are wiped out. And 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 this is if Europe fights back. You know I I'm not even that optimistic that they will ever fight back. I I think it's very likely that you know with a five to one birth rate that they they're just going to win through demo, sheer demographic uh, overpowering. It's a frightening thought. Do you have now, all, all the Muslim countries uh or, or are they broken up in your book cuz we know Saudi Arabia and Iran are are enemies with each other or do they unify in your book and come together to uh invade well, it the does, West? It doesn't matter whether they're fighting or not. It's not like the country of Saudi Arabia invades the West. Okay. Muslims divide the world into the Ummah Right. which is the Muslim world, the Dar al-Islam, the world of Islam, or house of Islam, and the Dar al-Harb, the house of war. That's why they they carry the black flag in unconquered territory and the green flag of Saudi Arabia in conquered territory. So they look at the world as Muslims versus everybody else. And there's there's really no stopping it. There's no moderating it because they settled... A thousand years ago, they settled that nobody anymore can change the meaning of the Quran. It's not only the Quran and the Hadith, but the scholarly works have been set in stone. This is legitimate thought about the Quran. Anybody today, like you see some of these, um, I think they're called Ahmadiyya, they're like 1% Muslims that talk about reforming Islam. Oh, it's yeah. a joke. It, yeah. It's a joke. It's like saying the Quakers are going to reform the Baptists and the Catholics. It, it's ridiculous. You know, they're 1%. Anybody, in, but yet the difference being, though, also, that the Baptists and the Catholics wouldn't massacre the Quakers for suggesting it. Whereas in Islam, anybody that said, we need to take out the Ninth Surah because of all the, you know, calls to kill everybody that's not a Muslim, anybody who suggests that just put a fatwa on themselves. And something that's very important that is a is a, a important concept for Westerners to understand is the Quran makes every Muslim a vigilante. It authorizes every Muslim. It doesn't say, you know, write your local imam and let's get a petition going. It says if you see immoral behavior, you go do it. You know, you you take action. 
you kill that cartoonist. It doesn't say, let's get a petition and, and pass a law against cartoons. Islam makes every Muslim a potential jihad vigilante. So, and it's basically unsolvable. Matt Bracken, thank you so much for your gracious gift of time. I know we're going to be hearing more uh, from and about Dan Kilmer, the uh, character in the book. The lovely, uh, wonderful character development, by the way. And I want to thank you for your time, and thank you for writing this book. The Red Cliffs of Zerhoon is the name of the book. Everyone in the in your or in uh, the UK, Europe needs to get a hold of a copy of this book. Do it today, right now, after the show. Uh, grab a copy of this book. And, and uh, Matt Bracken, thank you so very much for your gift of time. Really, really thank appreciate you. it. Folks, we're going to be right back uh, after a network break with Stan Dale. But but man, I'm going to tell you, this is a great read. And I'm serious about this. This is a really kind of a, a this is neat for me. Uh, this is in our curio cabinet at home. Thank you, my wife. Thank you so much for, for giving that, uh, putting that in my briefcase. We're right back. Stay with us. final hour on this Tuesday edition of the Hagman Report. We have Stan Deo, who's going to be joining us in just a few minutes in this third hour. He joins us each and every Tuesday in hour number three. You can go to standeo.com. There on the right-hand side, click the Show Images page and follow along with what Stan has put together. Real quick, on hagmanreport.com, make sure that you check out Peter Chalka's latest article, Has Sean Hannity Dodged the Kill Shot? And there is another article he's working on also that I imagine will be published tomorrow. I saw it in the, the draft section of the website today. He's He's been working on it, apparently. You, so you know, he's got a bunch of articles right. in, the, in the last few days that he's come out with. He's not only a talented writer. He's coming, He's going to be with us tomorrow night, right? Yeah, he'll be with uh, us He's tomorrow. a talented writer, but also he's been on the money 100%. Pay attention to what he writes, please. Uh, by the way, you need to buy him a steak. You need to buy Stan Dale a steak. But doesn't that sound good? Uh, wouldn't wouldn't you like to get a steak? Uh, wouldn't you like to have a steak right now? Can, can mm-hmm. you? Can you uh, wait, wait. Can you hear the sizzle? Oh man! You know, especially in the summer or worse nice on the barbecue, you can smell the the aroma of the steak. How Nothing would you like, like a grilled that? steak? Oh yeah. But, but but how about this? How about finding a gift? For someone who's got it all, we've got the answer for you. OmahaSteaks.com. Uh, we we got a package here from Omaha Steaks, and we opened the package. I couldn't believe how how many items were in this insulated box that we got. Let me tell you something: the best of the best meat, the best cuts, the the, the most flavorful beef, uh, tender aged beef. They've got, by the way, they've got seafood and poultry and pork and veal and lamb and you name it. And and you know what? Their beef is aged for 21 days to unlock the full flavors of the cuts and they're hand trimmed. You could tell they're vacuum sealed and then, and then shipped to you. And, and if you're interested in wines, they've got online recipes and wine pairings and more, by the way. But, uh, but let me tell you about Omaha Steaks and how for just, well, for only $49.99, that's $49.99, you can get my family gift pack. When you go to omahasteaks.com and enter our code HH in the search bar, folks, that's 75% off. You can't beat that right now. Omaha Steaks is giving an exclusive savings 
just to our listeners, just to the listeners of the Hagman Report. Think about that. Listen to everything that you'll get for under, for less than $50. Remember that sizzle of the steak and the aroma and the, and the oh, well, you get two filet mignons. Are they delicious? How about two top sirloins and two boneless pork chops and four boneless chicken breasts, four burgers, which are just fantastic. Wow, it's and these are great too. I, I love the I love them. But uh, four potatoes au gratin, four caramel apple tartlets. I, I was wrestling my neighbor almost over the dessert. Yes, that's right, Jack. I'm going to wrestle you for them. And four kielbasa sausages. But you know what? You can add four additional kielbasa sausages free with this pack. And, of course, the Omaha Steaks seasoning packet, which makes it really great. Oh, boy. Folks, go to omahasteaks.com, enter our code HH in the search bar, and get 75% off. That's 75% savings. It's the gift guaranteed to be a hit. So uh, you can send me that pack. Just go to omahasteaks.com, enter HH in the search bar, and hey, for under 50 bucks, you can give me a gift, right? For Joe or Eric the Tech or Stan Dale, as a matter of fact. There you go. Or anyone anyone that you might be having, um, you're wondering what to buy for. There it is, omahasteaks.com, HH in the search bar. Joe. We have with us Stan from standale.com. He was going to be joining us via Skype video, but he did a, a system upgrade, and next thing you know, it says it's going to take what? What was it, Stan? Forty minutes to complete. So you're yeah, on, right. on the phone. They put a new Skype up automatically, and then the, the new Skype thing. When I, I punched in that, trying to figure it out, so you got to go up to something called Sierra System. Okay, I think right. Well, we're you know half an hour before the show, no problem. And it started out at forty-two minutes, and it's still doing it now. I can't even access my computer. Computers, well, I'll tell you what, to be the death of me yet. Hmm. Interesting. Anyway. Uh, oh, well. It'll be through in about around the half time of the show here. We should be able to switch over to Skype, and, and I can wait I have for everybody. Uh, Stan, we have issues like technical issues like that all the time from the uh, updates on the on the phones. I don't know if you get those where it prompts you to, to upgrade your system operating system, and you click remind me later and it goes to the update screen right away or whether it's uh, software on the computer. We have issues like that all the time and it is frustrating when they do happen. Yeah, and it always happens in the worst time, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we'll live with it. We'll get uh, to it in 30 minutes and switch over. Well, where would all you right. like to start tonight? Well, there are just so many things. Um, the You know, I've been watching this situation over the Middle East and Saudi Arabia, young Mohammed bin Salman. Boy, he is in the news several times every day now with interesting stuff about mm-hmm. him and what he's doing. And it uh, there was a little thing that came up um, on Saudi Arabia, an update on True News, about Saudi Arabia gives permission to the scientists to study the quote-unquote gates, or they were part of those... Uh, uh, keyhole formations I was telling you about about uh, Poseidon and his wife that kind of thing but these are additional ones they look like geometric you know like triangles and circles and you know circles with a dot you know kind of like Poseidon's island but maybe something else anyway um, the Saudis are now letting him this archaeologist uh, a guy named Kennedy David Kennedy Dr. Kennedy to fly over uh, with a helicopter uh, and uh, they let him do that for 15 hours over three days 
taking more than 6,000 high-resolution photos to document more than 200 of these sites because the, the best uh, stuff we had was on Google Earth, which was some very high-altitude uh, satellite imagery showing a number of things that uh, we were able to identify as artifacts from the Atlantean culture. But the fact that the Saudis are letting this high-resolution photograph uh, photographing take place of these ancient artifacts tells me that they're about to get ready to let people come in on the ground and investigate these things and, surprise, surprise, find out that that was old Atlantis, which will then raise <laughs> the, the stocks of Saudi Arabia greatly in the world because tourism will jump through the roof. So he's planning to build this $500 billion city over on the southwest corner south of Jordan there, uh, right over where the, the uh, Mount Sinai is, or was, is, and, uh, you know, make it a smart city and a wonder bar for everybody. And But it's attracting, you know, uh, tourism, prob- primarily probably going to be wealthy tourism. But to, to do that, he needed something special. And I think that we're seeing the thin end of that wedge here to open up the whole country to, um, you know, uh, Christian and other religions, Jewish coming into the country and spending their money on his uh, various enterprises there instead of depending on oil. As I said many months ago on your show, I I think that the the, uh, attempt to sell off uh, 5% of Aramco by Saudi Arabia to raise a couple trillion dollars for his investment fund is simply because he knows that their oil reserves are much lower than they've stated, about four times lower at least, uh, which means that Saudi Arabia and uh, its uh, fellow Arab nations in that region there are running out of oil. Uh, So this is why he's making this massive shift of the economy over that way, and people are thinking, oh, he's crazy, but he's not. You know, he's crazy like a fox. Uh, This guy is proving to be exactly what I thought he would be. You know, the the rising superpower in the Middle East and quite possibly, highly possibly, the uh, first beast or antichrist of the book of Revelation. Interesting stuff to watch, as I said. Don't don't forget to check him when you go to your news sites uh, every day because there's new information on Mohammed bin Salman. And yeah, there are is. Really, really in a mess over there. A few questions, Stan, I, w- I want to ask you. One, do you think... Okay, we'll say Saudi Arabia is Atlantis, and that uh, the agenda, what you just laid out about them announcing it to the world, is what they actually want to do. Do you think there's enough evidence that they'd be able to actually prove that to where it would become an accepted scientific fact? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I you know, I told them uh, in my lectures, I told the audience that you know, here are these fourteen hundred artifacts that we can see from orbit. Here are all the the locations of various things that Plato talked about as far as Poseidon's Island and where the the water came down to a fertile plain. Fertile plain is there. Part of it runs into Iraq now as well. But that's called the Fertile Crescent nowadays, but it's the Fertile Plain of, of uh, Atlantis that, uh, uh, that Plato talked about. Anyway, yeah, I think they're going to find stuff, especially like over in uh, Jordan and uh, Northern Jordan and up into the uh, the uh, um, Glen Heights, where the giants lived, and we know the giants lived there. And these are part of the, the the people that were hybrid beings by the Atlanteans, or you know the fallen ones in the Genesis account, Genesis six. So they're going to be finding these bones. They're going to be finding structures, and I think that uh, they've already been finding some and just not announcing it until it's the right time for you know their business purposes. 
got to settle the problem with uh, the uh, Shiites over in uh, Iran. Uh, once that's done, he's intending to have to prove all this stuff with, uh, you know, very fine science and uh, good photography and uh, and letting people visit certain areas there. Uh, I can see it happening very soon. It, it's uh, the reason it's not happening today. I think is because of the uh, clear and present danger between uh, the uh, Arabs following Saudi Arabia and the ones following Iran. You know, the Sunni versus Shiite uh, Islamic groups. So, yeah, I, I think they're going to prove it finally. Um, okay. I, I have no doubt that I picked that correctly. I have no doubt that I located the Garden of Eden correctly. Uh, just absolutely no doubt. I'm positive. One of the, the other things you mentioned about the oil, we've heard for a, a long time that, uh, you know, about peak oil and uh, oil running dry, but it n- nothing ever indicates that we are running low on oil. Do you believe that there is um, Saudi Arabia's running out of oil? I do, I do, and even uh, a number of reports, you know, financial reports, and Wall Street have stated over the last uh, three or four months that they also believe that he's overstated his oil reserves a lot. Um, whether oil replenishes or not, it's not going to replenish as fast as we're using it. So, to say, do I think that uh, it's really happening? Yes. Uh, there, it's a finite amount of oil, and there are pressures mounting to uh, protect the environment. Uh, obviously, there are things being done with aerosols, which they're talking about in the news even today. The, the, the uh, Confederation of Scientists have been publishing papers on it since 1992, but they're reviving all those now. And we're, they're trying to figure out ways to shield the Earth from the sun, which is a big problem. It's getting hotter. Of course, nobody's admitting this, but it's getting hotter to us because it's emitting new frequencies of, of light in the ultraviolet spectra, which are being absorbed by plant life and animal life in our oceans. It's helping to heat up the planet. Well, you don't want to continue using uh, petroleum fuels, you know, carbon-based fuels, and adding to the pollution of the of the atmosphere. We've got enough problems as it is. And I do agree that, that these things are, are, are pollutants. They're not the major cause of... Um, you know, uh, global warming. It's the sun. So don't don't confuse what I'm saying with siding with uh, those crazies that have been saying that. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> something's got to be done because uh, the, 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 the particulates they've been putting into the atmosphere for X number of years in these chemtrails are certainly helping to reduce hurricanes and violent storms in one part of the northern hemisphere, particularly our part, the United States, but it's an increasing drought and other factors over in uh, the southern hemisphere, over Africa. So you're solving, quote-unquote, solving a, a an atmospheric or, um, you know, weather-type problem over one part of the planet, but it's like pushing uh, a dent there in the atmosphere and raising a, a pimple somewhere else uh, in the atmosphere. So even though it helps us, it harms somebody else. You need someone who has the understanding of the whole workings of the the, uh, the planet Earth and its atmosphere and seas and whatever and magnetic fields so that any changes made work toward a harmonic distribution of energy across the planet. And, you know, and that's the only person I know can do that is the good Lord Jesus. You know, he's, when he goes back, he'll do that. But that's, that's where I see us sitting at the moment. Okay, uh, and that that is interesting. And 
one of the things, the reason I ask that is because we've been hearing about, you know, the peak oil for a long time. And I just, um, and you said that the Saudi prince has been overstating the amount of reserves. There's just been no indications on any type of oil shortages. And I know I've watched a lot of back and forth on this discussion uh, about the possibility of it replenishing much sooner than we believe. And some people seem to believe that it is easily replenished. But we will uh, continue to learn more about that as we move forward. Too, the lift costs are involved. I mean, there's lift costs involved, especially with oil in different locations and such. But I guess that's... But wouldn't it be interesting if we found out that basically as fast as it's taken out of the ground, it somehow replenishes itself? It would be interesting, but having a father that was a petroleum geologist, I can remember looking at a lot of the core samples in the oil fields that uh, they brought up from thousands of feet down. And when you get a core sample of an oil field, you know, it's not like a pool of oil that you just suck it up or it gets pushed up the tube. It's in little compartments all through these stones that are, I mean, a core sample might be about, what, uh, four inches in diameter, but usually by about maybe six to eight inches long, depending on how they cut it. But that comes right out of the middle of the oil-producing field, way down deep. And when you lift it up, it's heavy. It's like lifting a, a heavy, you know, like granite-type stone, except it's a porous stone. And the pores are very fine, but in those pores are the oil, that is, is driven out by the pressure in the whole oil well field there, which uh, does go through all these uh, pores they connect, and it pushes them out, and you get a flow into a low-pressure area where the, the drill goes down into the formation. But uh, to say that it replenishes as fast as we take it, um, I don't think so, because you've got to permeate this entire field from outside somewhere and let it flow through with this new oil, and the only way that can happen is if the oil is already ready, already produced, and sitting there in a another type of uh, reservoir. I, I know the arguments on the adiabatic uh, oil replenishment, but um, no, I uh, knowing that oil is uh, like made from the chromatin and hematin parts of uh, blood and, and uh, vegetable tissue has to age a bit. Uh, it can be replaced within, you know. Oh, four or five hundred years normally in shallow deposits, but um, where do you get vegetable and blood material deep down in the mantle now to replenish the oil that we're taking out? I just don't see it. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting to uh, to see more studies on that, as I know technology is getting better to be able to read what's underneath the ground at, at far levels. And it'll be interesting to see if that is applied to some of these oil-rich areas or areas that have been having oil taken out of them for a long time um, to see what yeah. what's left. But Well, it, it, okay, by the way, I, I have to say that your initial reports about Mohammed bin Salman going back a little ways in our discussion certainly have... You know, certainly have made me pay attention to what's really going on in Saudi Arabia and the world in geopolitics. You called that one right, correctly, and that that's very disturbing to me. By the way, I just <laughs> want to throw that out there. Yeah, I know uh, it's, uh, it's disturbing to a lot of us because I, I know that you know there's strong evidence for a um, an antichrist coming from uh, Europe, 
be, I think, now considered to be the, the false prophet that follows the Antichrist, but whatever. Um, the the situation is uh, shaping up to where we're going to see some uh, ancient wars predicted. They probably talked about the Prophetic Perils book, and others have too, where the Saudis lead a, an Arab confederation, and eventually, you know, they have this uh, alleged agreement with Israel, but they turn on Israel and attack them. And I think we're seeing that shape up immediately, which kind of shortens the time frame we were thinking about as far as the beginning of the tribulation. It might be right around the corner measured in months. And uh, so that's kind of why it's it's uh, concerning to me and to a lot of other people. They just think. Hmm. Don't buy any ripe bananas, necessarily. You know, it's, yeah, I, well... Stan, well, you just talked about uh, well, what's up with uh, Trump team begins drafting Middle East peace plan. Yeah, yeah. What about that? I mean, you know, I, I looked at that article and it started a, a few days ago. Started seeing it come out in the open. I, I'd heard rumors of it, but Jared Kushner's over there, and Benjamin Netanyahu's met with Mohammed bin Salman. He's met with both of those guys numerous times, and with President Trump. And you'll see on the show images page there slides forty and forty one where, you know, it's uh, talking about this peace treaty that's being negotiated, and they're trying to get Israel and the surrounding Arab nations, including Palestine, which isn't a nation, it's just a, you know, a name, but in, including the Palestinians, to have peace between Israel and its Arab neighbors. Now, that treaty, that agreement, what you know, whoever does it, whatever, is going to be ratified by the Antichrist. He will be a signatory to it. He'll, he'll endorse it. Now, who represents the biggest chunk of Arab nations at the moment? Mohammed bin Salman. And if you look at slide 42 and click on that, um, you, you'll see that the Saudis lead a military force, an alliance, over in the Middle East, which combines, it's got over a billion people in it. It's got 2,500 jet fighters at, at their disposal. 21,000 armored tanks, 461 assault helicopters, one nuclear country backing them, um, probably Pakistan, as I, uh, I think I saw, but uh, yeah, uh, 44,000 armored vehicles, 5 million soldiers, and 4 million combat soldiers. So the 5 million reserves uh, and 4 million combat, which means they have 9 million man army over there. Now, that's hard to put down in conventional terms if you try to fight something like that. But if you'll click on that, you'll see the chart, what that young fellow's got control of now. I mean, overnight, he's got this huge yeah. army. <clears throat> that's um, that's a lot of military equipment and people. And you yeah, have yeah. even more active soldiers than the, uh, or I'm sorry, active reserves. Yeah, so a total yeah. of 9 million soldiers. Yeah. Um, and, and they call themselves the Israeli, or sorry, sorry, not Israeli, the Islamic Military Counterterrorism Coalition. And they got a very nice kind of gold and uh, kind of deep green uh, logo. You can see it on the little icon. I didn't put it over the picture because of the, of the troops and stuff because it would uh, block part of the image. But look up the Islamic Military Counterterrorism Coalition symbol. And it um, it has a couple rings going around the entire planet. It's not a local event. Uh, it it kind of gives away the game just in their symbol. Well, I wonder. Now, the the real question is, what is going to be done 
with this Islamic coalition um, from these these countries? Are they going to really stick together, and are they going to be there just for the defense of their country, or is there any offensives that they're going to be planning? And uh, no, and well, they can they've already much stated one offensive. They're, they're going to make an offensive against Iran for sure, and um, you can count on that. They, they, they've made that public. Um, so, if they can go on offensive against Iran and move up into that area to attack Iran, um, allegedly with the support of the United States and Israel, and uh, all of a sudden have all this kind of troop weaponry and, and, and people there at the doorstep of Israel. I mean, this is a mighty army. It will take an act of God to save Israel if that mighty army decides, turn left up here at the Golan Heights, slide on down the hill, drive on down there, and you're in northern Israel. I mean, you know, I, I smell a rat from the start on this. They, they're fooling, uh, you know, the Israeli leadership at the moment, or I think they are anyway, uh, saying, okay, we're going to be friends. It's the first time in several thousand years the Arabs and the Israelis have been friends, but we're getting along, love, you know, love, love, love. The enemy of our, uh, uh, our enemy, our enemy's enemy is our friend type thing. So uh, Saudi Arabia and the Arab nations are friends with Israel to get rid of Iran because of the threat to all the other Arab nations that uh, Qasem Soleimani and the imams there uh, are presenting. So as soon as Iran is defeated by the the Arab coalition that we're talking about, then the enemy is gone. That enemy is gone, which was the thing that joined Israel with the Arabs as friends, in quotes. So then we're, we're back to the stage where it's Israel against the Arab coalition just destroyed the Iranians. I know that seems like a long stretch, but I'm I'm seeing that happen very rapidly once this thing gets going. And 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 young Mohammed bin Salman has, he's doing things that makes you know um, Nebuchadnezzar look a little bit tame. He's you know he's rounding up people. He's killed a couple people already, and Lord knows how many more he's going to put in prison. He's cleaning house over there and showing that he's not a a um, a mamby pamby leader. Now, his dad, the King Solomon, is still king and doesn't intend to abdicate to give his son the kingship or, or, or you know, de facto rule, even though it is that way. He's not going to be declared king until the old king dies. Probably he will be king when the prince goes about doing all the stuff he's going to do. So when that covenant is made between Israel and the Arab nations here shortly at the hands of the United States and, and Israel and Saudi Arabia, when that happens, the prince who, you know, uh, recognizes or adopts or ratifies that peace treaty must be a prince, and that is Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Stan, we, we're coming up against the break, but when we come back, I'd like to, if if we can, get into a little bit more of Saudi Arabia as to where this anti-corruption case is going moving forward. I guess what the procedure is from here and um, what they're going to do with, I guess, all this allocation of resources from the billions of dollars that some of these people who were arrested own as their assets and bank accounts are going to be seized and what the next steps for Saudi Arabia is is moving forward from here. We're going to be right back with our guest, Stan Deo, after this short break. Don't go anywhere.
segment on this Tuesday edition of Hagman Report. Stan Deo is our guest, and we were talking about Saudi Arabia before the break, and Stan really called it for a long time now. He has been looking at Prince Solomon as a potential player to look out for in the Middle East, and sure enough, just in the last month, he has uh, basically consolidated and seized the power in Saudi Arabia, and we were going looking at the Islamic coalition that he uh, has control of, and it is pretty impressive, as Stan points out. Stan, I want to ask you this. What is next moving forward in this anti-corruption sweep in Saudi Arabia? Are they are people going to be put on trial? What What's the process? Did we lose Stan? Hagman Station do Stan. You know what I'm thinking, Eric? I'm thinking that he's trying to connect via Skype. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll stand by for that. All right. No, we're going to wait. We're, we're, we're getting this. We're getting this, <laughs> we're, we're getting this from, from, from Eric the Tech here. Camera. Okay. We're getting this. <laughs> yeah. What does this mean? Stretch it Stop out. Stop the hammering. Stretch it I out. I got sand in my ears. Somebody's talking about Labor Day specials. What's going on? Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, no, that's... Uh, okay. Well, but, we're, but, we're but you know, what here, here's what I want you to ask, Dan. And you ask him this. I'm going to sit back here and relax. But no, seriously. Remember that video from the Tropicana? Yeah. Uh, during the... Okay. I just looked at, at that. Okay. Man. Who was that? Because... Okay. That, Rick Wiles reported that it was a bag man for the casino who was carrying over $3 million in chips. There is another report out there uh, by a Joanne lady who is saying that it was a prince or Prince-ness a Saudi of royalty. Of Saudi, yeah, I believe that's the case. I have an article right up here about this. I, I Saudi this. Arabia and the Las Vegas shooting might have an interesting connection. What is being what is being pointed out is on the Mandalay Bay in the top four floors. Four floors of Four by, Seasons. That's right. Owned by Saudi Arabia, and there is some speculation out there that there was an assassination attempt. And the shooting right. covered it up, right? Which is to me, I okay, I don't accept that premise, but I I do accept the fact that there was a Saudi royal in that group. Now I don't accept the premise that the shooting covered up an assassination attempt. That to me is ridiculous. Yeah. However, <laughs> that doesn't th- don't throw the baby out the bathwater. So it stands back, I think, so we can ask him about that if there's if he's heard anything about that or connected any thoughts there. Yeah, uh, we'll get into that. First, Dan, I want to ask you this. What is next in this anti-corruption sweep in Saudi Arabia? Are we going to see trials? Are these people, uh, do they even have trials? How does that, how, what are we going to see going forward in Saudi Arabia? Well, uh, this, um, this kind of stuff, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. We just can't okay. see you. Okay, I just couldn't get the feedback here. Uh, the, um, oh, you can't see as well? Yeah, we, do, we uh, don't have the video. All right, let me try that. There you go. All right. See? And we have a new loopback system in place, Dan. You should be able to see our video feed, and it shows you exactly what's being shown on on the uh, broadcast screen. Oh, uh, okay. I see that. Well, it looks like i got a good sunburn there, doesn't it? It does, but that's okay. I don't know why. Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> and and I, I just want to say this. We want to thank, we want to thank our, our, the, the people who support this broadcast because now our guests can actually see the the production going out before they, all they saw was this static image of our logo. Now they can actually see. So and sometimes the lighting stand lighting here um, 
you know, it's, it's weird, but you look good. You look good. Well, I wish I had a tan like yours. That looks good, too. Anyway, now back to the thing with the... Uh, radiation burns. Uh, Just kidding. <laughs> with uh, the phase one that we've seen in uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, they say that's phase one of the anti-corruption uh, push through uh, Saudi Arabia by MBS and his uh, allies there within the royal family. Uh, I don't know whether it's just a phase uh, two or phase three, but basically they are entitled normally to a trial uh, to see whether they are, you know, corrupt and that kind of stuff. But it, the if you look at the history of the Saudi royal family, there have been numerous coups and counter coups over the last few hundred years, and they follow this pattern. Now they don't always uh, kill. You know, the, or execute the ones that they depose. But usually those people take off with whatever they get out of the country with. And right now then, a lot of the Saudi, uh, wealthy businessmen have been dumping assets overseas to get out of the country and have a lifestyle that they want to continue, but, uh, not be killed for it. So I don't know whether he's just scaring them to death to get him to get out of his way so he can get on with what he needs to do in that country as far as his plan for the Middle East and possibly the world. But uh, I don't think it's going to slow down. Um, now that he's kind of let the cat out of the bag, that he's out there being a shaker and mover of the first kind. And the fact that he and, and Donald Trump are so close, and, and now then with Netanyahu, that they've formed this trio of uh, individuals that are trying to uh, reshape the Middle East to um, perhaps undo... Uh, what the, the British did, uh, you know, during the time of Florence of Arabia when they repartitioned a lot of the Arab territories over there. Um, I just see this as living, living proof, you know, uh, uh, prophecies coming true. We're, we're seeing this right in the news almost daily. So I, again, I say, watch the news, read the news, look for Mohammed bin Salman, look for, uh, Netanyahu, look for Jared Kushner, uh, Wherever those people are, what they're doing together is toward this peace treaty. And I think uh, I've even seen the name of Dr. Nimrod Novik uh, come up, and I've been watching him since 1989. Um, you know, he's one of the key participants in the Oslo Accords, which proposed a seven-year peace treaty between Israel and uh, the Palestinians. You know, it never came to fruition at that time, but it's been sitting on the table waiting to be used, you know, to be initiated. And there'll probably be some mm, modifications made for modern times and circumstances, but I think we're going to see literally a seven-year treaty, which is that uh, let's try and save period of the tribulation. You know, it couldn't be more in your face. It's just there. All right. I'm not looking forward to no. that, Stan. It's uh, so for some reason. I just, you know. Well, obviously it's going to be a problem, mm. but... Uh, uh, on the other hand, it tells us we're very close to the Lord coming back and setting things straight. Hey, did you guys uh, see that uh, Genesis uh, Paradise Lost movie that came out yesterday? No. No? No? No. no. Oh, wow, did you miss a treat? I, it's, uh, yeah, th- th- t- talk to us about this, because I didn't even know. Um, no, I'm not a movie guy. but Well, uh, it's a Christian production. It's been in production for three years. And I've been following it here and, and uh, watching what they're doing. Um, it's a 3D movie or 2D. And I would say 
if you get a chance to see it, it'll be tonight. Is the second and last day of the public, you know, theater release. Uh, in 3D, it is absolutely astounding that the computer graphics, uh, are better than Avatar. They are absolutely brilliant. And it's from a Christian perspective. You have leading, um, PhD types that are in the, in the movie telling about the problems with evolution, you know, the technical scientific problems that don't add up. And uh, they go back and show Genesis, uh, the creation of the earth, and, um, six days and seven days the Lord rested. And they look at things in astronomy. They look at things in paleontology. Um, and, uh, you know, dinosaurs, you know, cohabiting the planet with men and showing, you know, that that was a real thing. This is part one of a, a series of at least two, maybe three movies they want to do if they have time. But uh, if you can go to images 47, 48, and 49 on my uh, show images page. And the first image will take you to their main website. Um, the image 49 will take you to their resources page, which shows that they're going to be bringing it out on DVD uh, fairly soon. And if you do get it, get it in a 3D form that you can see, you know, because literally things in, in the history just leap out at you from the screen it's just beautiful um, the birds uh, the sea animals uh, how things were created it's, it's wonderful there you go that's it I see it there um, the uh, uh, right now there are posters and things up there but they say they're going to have the DVDs out and if you <clears throat> click on the image 40 uh, what is that 48 yeah 48 if you click on 48 uh, it'll take you to a series of photographs or images taken from the movie. And these just don't do justice to the movie. But uh, uh, they released it in 1,200 uh, theaters last night, and Holly and I went off to see it. And then I think they're repeating it uh, in about the same number tonight. But then after that, it'll have to be to DVDs. Um, so, yeah, you, you, it's a great, great witness tool from Stand. so many aspects. Why are they only having uh, two days of showing? It looks like uh, yesterday, the 13th of November, and then Thursday, the 16th, are the only two showings. Do you know, are they going to re-release this in theaters? Oh, they say the six, oh, on Thursday. I thought it was tonight. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe it was because of the the, uh, the company that does the release for them. Um, let me just see if I can see their name on that uh, thing there. Uh, Genesis movie. Well, there's a company. It's not Genesis. It's a, a company that does the release for them. And it's their control of the release that they have to adhere to so they can get it in that many theaters, which when you think about it for a, a you know, a non-Hollywood uh, type movie to get 1,200 theaters, uh, two days even, that's mighty across the country. So, I mean, here in Colorado, you can see it in Denver, Colorado Springs, and Pueblo where we are. So that tells you the penetration is just really good. Um, now, the price of the tickets was a little bit more than normal, and they say that was because of the, the company handling the distribution of it. That was the way they said it, and that's, they had to adhere to that. But when they get their DVDs out, it will probably be much more uh, friendly price. But uh, it was worth it. I, I, like uh, Holly said, it was the best movie she's ever seen, so i give you a clue. Yeah, it does. Definitely something I'd want to check out in the theaters with the whole 3D thing. But if we have to wait till it comes out on DVD, so be it. We will see it then. But yeah, well, I didn't you even hear about it. the movie. 
Stan, honestly, well, I didn't even know that was out. I guess I should have done more of my part to advertise it, but as I say, I've been following the development of it for, they had a crowdfunding thing to get it funded to start with. and took a while to get all the money into that. Um, but if you see the end of the movie and the credit roll starts, don't, don't leave the theater. Sit and watch the credit roll because there's a whole new segment after that that they filmed after the, the movie is over. And you'll see in the credit roll names of a lot of people that put money into it, Christian folks uh, that uh, helped to to create the, the budget for it. And you'll meet the young man that was in charge of um, doing this, you know. And you know, again, as a, as a computer graphics, you know, instructor in university, I'm absolutely blown away by the special effects. It's just, uh, you know, mists and steam and clouds and solar explosions and you know galactic create i mean just dinosaurs that moved and walked over and, and adam got to touch his nose and say hi how are you going all that kind of stuff which is superbly well done okay so. maybe we can uh reach out and get one of the creators to come on the show john if well, you're listening you can uh make a note of that get john busy yeah <laughs> yeah no i'm just messing yep. with him yeah, but anyway, yeah, do that, and um, the the guys' names are there on that show page, so uh, see if you can't get in touch with them. Um, and, yeah, uh, absolutely. You sure, know, they'd like to. Yeah, I, I almost now that you you mentioned that, I I think John was talking about this yesterday in the studio. I'm not sure, but there's something that reminds me of that. Okay, well, very well. Okay. Um, so so well worth the investment of time and money for that particular movie. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And, if and Holly, as I say, if Holly liked good. it, there it is. Well, there there you go. And and uh, it, it is a marvelous witness tool that okay, it's not uh, lightly done. The the facts that they give you 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 almost need a DVD later in, in one or two of the guys' presentations to say, okay, let me go back. What do you say here? And where? Okay, yeah, right. You can hear it real time, but it's so good. Hmm. Yeah, Holly says you definitely got to see it in 3D. I just said that. It's just, um, and if it's coming out Thursday, you've still got times to get uh, tickets. Um, in fact, I'll just see if I've, I've uh, filed that away here since it was over in my email, but uh, I can forward you the contact things. In fact, you can do it on that website there. You can order your tickets there. Uh, and you just say, here's my here's my zip code. What is the nearest theater that's carrying it? And then they will book the ticket for you. Cool. Okay. All right. We'll have to look and see if they're in our area. Yeah. Oh, they must be close. I mean, with 1,200 uh, theaters, goodness gracious. Well, yeah. I, I hope so. No, I'd even... <laughs> I'd, you know, the last movie I saw, Stan, just as a little tidbit, was Titanic. That's a while back. Yeah. And I fell asleep Things have during, happened. I fell asleep during Independence Day. You didn't. You didn't. I did. I actually thought I was, I was exhausted. And I sat I sat in the chair and I think Joe, you were there. I remember he slept through Independence Day. Yeah, that's what I said. I <laughs> oh that was like yeah, that was like twenty years ago. Yeah. Um so Titanic was the last movie I saw. Yeah, the Titanic. Yeah. Wow. So, Stan, I just did a search um, with the zip code, find a theater with our zip code, and they say Good there luck. are no theaters in our area that are playing this. So, Where do you live, on the moon? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. We, 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 we live, we live in cities, mom's know. basement. Maybe it's just what the, the state. 
Well, what uh, you know? How many miles did you allow for the the search? Uh, they, it doesn't say by miles. It just says uh, find a theater by, by zip code or search by state. Yeah. And did, did you do by state? We'll do it by state. I'm going to do that right now. It, it could be in Cleveland, Buffalo, or Pittsburgh. It's got to yeah. be one of those cities. But not uh, up here. You got one in Pittsburgh. There you go. There you go, that's Pittsburgh. An, that's an hour and a half, two so, hours away. So. Yeah, take a couple hour drive to. Yeah. All right. Close enough. Well, you know what, Stan? We only have about ten minutes left of the program, so we we don't want to waste time looking for tickets on the <laughs> on this. Um, what 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 else is on your plate of events here? I mean, we've got so much going on. Where do you start? I mean, you know, you look at the headlines. Where do you even start? It's but I, I guess you already did with Saudi Arabia, and I think that's perhaps the uh, the game changer here. Um, and I really didn't. Yeah. I really didn't think too much about the Kushner, Donald Trump, Netanyahu peace deal. Now I have to go back and relook at that. Yeah, look, it's mm. uh, wow. It, it's a mighty uh, piece of prophecy when these uh, three are getting together like this. Um, and, and the South Korean leader, of course, thinking that you know that Donald Trump is really the world's greatest leader, uh, you know, and saying that in essence. Um, is putting a lot of pressure on, on uh, President Trump. I don't know that that I would want to be in his shoes and trying to initiate that peace treaty. Uh, that's not ratifying or anything like that. That's being a participant in it. But it would still make me nervous trying to negotiate the peace treaty that prophecy says will kind of herald the start of the seven-year tribulation. And if anyone could do it, uh, I do suspect, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> the art of the yeah. deal um, in this regard. Wow. All right. Okay. Now, um, some other things there in images 43 through 45 on my show images page. Um, Solomon's Gate. Um, I've put up a couple of images from the article. Um, they have uh, found, uh, by reopening an excavation they'd sealed for a couple of years, uh, in Israel they found a location which pretty much proves that uh, Solomon A did exist and that these were the gates to his um a small fort, you know, outside of Jerusalem, uh, further down the coast there. But it's interesting to see what they're doing with the dig. And uh, they're all trying to prove, uh, it's a, a Christian dig as well, they're trying to prove that Solomon existed. And uh, uh, Israel is you know, kind of desperate to do that, to prove the legends, you know, to be fact. Um and I, I think that uh, this is, is coupled with the other things bringing prophecy right to our doorstep. Stan, yeah. was, there, was there any doubt, though, that, that he existed, really? I mean, any legitimate doubt? Um, oh, I don't know. You, If you say legitimate, the Arabs, of course, the Muslims, uh, they, they don't particularly care to hear about that, but it's all the Jewish lies, according to them. But, um, yes, it was necessary to, to uh, find, you know, the real tomb of King David, and uh, Solomon's temple, you know, the, the rubble of it. And, of course, they now have pretty much convinced me, without a doubt, like, you know, Carnucci uh, and the rest of them that are working on the location of Solomon's temple, that it's not on the Temple Mount. It's down in that uh, southeast corner outside the wall in that great pile of rubble uh, on the hill called Ophel, O-P-H-E-E-L. And so to, to prove that then gives them, like, ancient title deed, to Jerusalem, which is one of the big issues, uh, you know, in the Arab nation. So it was a great, a great thing here, what, six or seven months ago, 
when a dig up in Lebanon or, you know, north of Israel somewhere, not in the country, but out, uh, uncovered a stila that said that they mentioned, uh, you know, King David. And so that was an official recognition of the fact that, yeah, there was a, a King David in the region. Um, so much of Israel's history has just been buried, you know, burned, buried, destroyed, that finding any proof of it is, you know, something really great for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I imagine that, um, you have a lot of Christians, especially here in America, that, that take trips over to Israel to see the historical, biblical sites that there are. And this would definitely add to that list of, of historical and religious Christian sites that are, that are there. And uh, I just read through this article that you have posted, Stan, from Breaking Israeli News on this dig here. And it seems as though not everybody agrees that, uh, this is actually, uh, the ruins of, uh, that are Solomon's, but they say they're going to keep digging. And if they're looking for what this article says, if they're looking for a positive proof, um, that they have a problem with the gates, apparently. They say that the gates are older. That's what I was thinking. They, they say the gates are older. Uh, they're not from Solomon's time, but later. But either way, it's just fascinating, uh, fascinating stuff. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, with archaeology these days in the Middle East, you do have to allow for, you know, changes or misinterpretations or whatever, but it's it's peer review what is doing this. Um, it's To me, the important thing is that they are searching, you know, and finding things to prove uh, King Solomon's uh, kingship in the area. Uh, there's just such a a shortage of hard archaeological proof uh, that it does cry out for some real good stuff to be discovered and proven. And the fact that they're being diligent and saying, okay, well, they're from a different period, doesn't bother me. It's because they're doing a critical analysis of what uh, the dig is revealing. And they should do that. The truth should come forth. Amen. Are, there, are there a lot of these archaeological Amen. dig sites in Israel? Oh, yeah. Heaps of them, heaps of them. Okay. Um, yeah, in the north, down in the south, uh, there are some that are <clears throat> going to have to excavate a lot more than, than others for, you know, rock overburden and, and buildings and stuff being built over the top. That that does complicate some of the things in Jerusalem. Um, I, I marveled when I was over in Israel there, you know, like everybody, I kind of envisioned Jerusalem was here, and then way over here was, you know, Bethlehem, and up there, you know, was... Uh, another part in northern Israel. But when you get over there, if you're in Jerusalem in the town there in the shopping cardo, and you just drive maybe three or four minutes, you're down into Bethlehem. You know, you can walk there. It's not a big deal. But uh, it's, everything is much more compact, closer together than you, than you visualize it uh, from biblical studies and stories and things. Um, but it, it's... It's a land of, of history. There's no question about that. And the excavations they're doing, they're, they're doing some underneath the city of Jerusalem. They've been doing it for years. And uh, when I was there, you could look down a, a sealed off or walled off area there. You, they could let you look down into several layers of occupation of Jerusalem where they just, they built a new city on top of that one and a new city on top of the, the one before that. You could see the layers that they were excavating, uh, you know, down in the, where the ladder went. Um, I don't understand why they they did that. Just build on top of another city, unless it was uh, because of access to uh, you know strategic uh, highways or you know pathways or 
for water. In Jerusalem, there's only one real natural spring, uh, the Gihon Spring there. So I suppose that it would be logical for other races when they, you know, clobbered the Israelis uh, to build there and uh, use the resources. Uh, there are tells, the TELs, these hills all through Israel. And uh, these tells are buried occupations of a particular location, buried cities or buried tribes. And, uh, you know, just this mound. And there are a lot of these that still need to be excavated and documented to fit into the history of the region. It'd be interesting to do that. I, I certainly enjoyed my time over there. And that's yeah, my commercial I'd love travel. to go. I, I, I've never been. I'd love to go. You know. Uh, yeah. Now, updates on the uh, the EMP shield device. That, hmm. uh, yes. Uh, Tim. Okay. Uh, Tim's been over in Pittsburgh uh, for the last few days. He's, uh, I think he flew out today to go home uh, with these devices being tested by the Department of Defense uh, EMP testing lab. And the guys huh? over at the lab were absolutely impressed with the results. They couldn't get it to fail. They could not get our circuit to fail. That's really cool, Stan. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have all those reports and stuff. Uh, they will give us a hard copy of it. We'll put them up on the website. Um, we've made about 16 different uh, options of, of how the, uh, the device can be configured for various uses. And I've just put up all but three of them, I think, on the website this afternoon on the um, EMPShield.com uh, site. Um, if you go to the store, click on the store. Oh, uh, see that? Go to store. Go. Yep. Okay. And when you get to store, you can start seeing some of the different uh, ones I've, I've put up there. Uh, we've had to make them, some of them, People wanted to be able to screw the wires into the box uh, on the top uh, instead of down through a cable coming out the side. So we had to make a different box for that. Some wanted to have it so that you don't see anything except the, the little lights telling you that it's working. And so you'll see down in the lower right-hand second row there, if you see down there's a little white thing that uh, it's got a flat ribbon cable that fits underneath the, the front pa- face of your oh, yeah. uh, circuit box. And so that comes out and sticks on the wall. It's a little tiny thing, but it's the lights. But the main unit itself is out of sight and locked up inside your um, uh, circuit breaker, which is convenient. And uh, then we've got one for uh, for 24-volt DC systems for solar arrays, and one for 48-volt solar arrays. Uh, we're setting up uh, a number of them now for the European market as well. We have been absolutely just swamped with requests for people wanting to buy lots of them for their particular groups. And they have usages. Some are marine. Some are, you know, uh, aircraft. Uh, the aircraft was a little bit problematic with our legal team at the moment, but still, all this has just happened in the last what, you know, the last sixty days, um, and it's it's swamping us and slowing down our uh, free energy research. But uh, we'll get back to that in about two weeks, we think, as we turn over the manufacturer to a can seal to let them be doing that for us while we get the next product ready. Very interesting, Stan. We are, we only got about a minute left, but say the Defense Department likes it so much, is it possible they're going to offer, um, they're going to buy you, buy it from you or produce it? Um, uh, I don't know, actually. Uh, you know, it's kind of early days because we just got the report from Tim by phone this afternoon. So, um, but they, look, I've looked at these things on the internet, uh, various types of similar type devices. 
and the maximum was like maybe nine times. The best one out of ten would work nine times and then fail. But ours didn't fail. They they were trying to get it to fail and couldn't get it to fail. Well, that's awesome, Stan. Congratulations on that. Yeah. And you have taken us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for spending your time with us this evening, and we look forward to having you back on next week. Yes, sir. See you next week, guys. Night-night. I want your vest, too. I I like your vest. (laughs) And that bolo tie. I've got three of them. They're they're, uh, I think they're Coronados out of California, but they're very nice buffalo. I love it. All right, Stan. Thank you. God bless, and say hello to all. All right. That'll do it for us tonight, folks. Hey, tune in to Doug Hagman Radio Show tomorrow at 9 o'clock. Global Star Radio Network and BTR only. Global Star Radio Network and BTR only. Doug Hagman Radio Show at 9. That's 9 to 10. And then, of course, John and Joe from 2 to 3. Until then, God bless. Good night.